Hello, everybody, and welcome to Movie Change Up, the Impossible Movie Remake Show. My name is Johnny Duke, uh, and we are excited to have you this week. Um, this is the show, if you are not familiar, that we reboot and pitch new versions of uh, movies that we love and movies that we love to hate. Um, we got some exciting ones this week. We are doing what we call failed franchises, um, and uh, we have some exciting possibilities for this. Um, before uh, we get started, please like and subscribe on, on YouTube, and also give us a five-star rating and review on any of the uh, podcast apps that we're on, which is pretty much everything, um, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, whatever other ones I'm not thinking of, and, but I don't think we're on Stitcher, because, you know, fuck Stitcher, so um yeah that's that's it we're, we're ready to get started so just a kind of an intro to today we are uh switching things up a little for april so tristan chose the rule pairings for bobby's movies and i chose the rule pairings for joe's movies normally the contestants would have seven rules and seven movies and they would have to um pair those together and pitch the um everything themselves but we kind of painted them into a corner uh on these today but tried to give them some uh, room to work with. Uh, so before uh, we introduce our competitors, I'd like to introduce my my fellow co-host today. Tristan, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited. Uh, like you mentioned, we picked the rules this week, so that's something different. I'm really excited to see what uh, they did with our rules because it's kind of like our combined thoughts. You know, it's what I would match because I would say that what I did for mine, I don't know about you, but my philosophy was what I matched for Bobby was what I would have matched for myself. So I'm curious to see how that works. I didn't throw in some curveball or something that I would try to sabotage him with, you know. I tried to be objective and good now. You know, when I'm competing, maybe not, but when I'm judging, I try to be. Exactly. I, I tried to do the same for Joe, and I'm interested to see this week what we might have uh, matched on. So Bobby, after Tristan says he was trying to be objective and pick the best rules, do you agree? Do you think he uh, gave you a lot of room to work with and pick the best uh, rules for each movie? Yeah, I mean, I think he did a good job. There's only one that is, uh, on first glance, was like, oh, I don't know how that's going to work. And he even said it in his rule picking picks. He's like, sorry for this one. But um, I think I came up with something that I would like for it um, that I'd like to see. So I, I didn't I didn't really have any complaints about it. I'm curious because I had a very specific, like, one direction where I was like, maybe I would go this direction if I had I, to use this rule. But you know, I'm curious I was, if you didn't. I was talking to Joe before this. I went more with a concept-based pitches this time instead of a long, drawn-out plot. So I'm going to see how that kind of works out for me. I like that's what I've kind of been shifting towards for the most part. Or like if I really want to set the tone for it, basically just pitching like the opening and then kind of here's the rest. So mm -hmm. um, same question to you, Joe. Do you think I did a good job? Did I set you up for success today? Yeah, no. Uh, there was one that was very challenging for me to do. And I wasn't quite sure how I was going to do it, but I think I tackled it pretty well. But other than that, yeah, I think it was pretty good rule pairings. Nothing too crazy, nothing too difficult that I had to overcome. Yeah. I think every week, with especially because, you know, we have to use one rule per movie, you always kind of get into, okay, this is the hardest pitch, and this is the hardest rule. And usually I just put those together and try to do something interesting with it. So I feel like for Joe, I was like, here's six ones I'm confident in, and here's one that I – good luck like have fun and i feel like tristan might have done the same for bobby as he said so all right so before um our contestants fight i'll go over what seven movies we're doing today um and then uh tristan will read the rules so we have first of all aragon from 2006 
We have Gem and the Hom Gem Gem and the Holograms from 2015. We have Saban's Power Rangers from 2017. The Lone Ranger from 2013. The classic Matthew McConaughey vehicle Sahara from 2005 that I don't know if any of us have seen. The Mummy from 2017. Now there's been a million mummies, but this is the failed Monsterverse version with Tom Cruise. Um, and then we have John Carter from 2012. Um, so those are our seven movies. Tristan, what are the rules uh, for this episode? Like Johnny said, they have to match these rules with those movies. And our seven rules for the seven movies are one must feature a kaiju in celebration of Godzilla versus Kong coming out and being amazing. Another kind of monster, one must be directed by Rob Zombie. Celebration of the upcoming Oscars, we did one must uh, use only the nominees of the 93rd Academy Awards as the upcoming Academy Awards at the end of the month this, this April. One must cross over with another franchise. One must be a four-hour epic. I'm interested to see how people use that one. One must feature time travel, another ridiculous one. And... Probably the most ridiculous one. A combination of me and Johnny both not reading our texts well. One must feature only yeah. Star Wars actors who have also worked with Kevin Bacon. So these, these are people. I who forgot about that. Yeah. You started to read it. <laughs> in the Star yeah. Wars franchise, who have Screw also, in other things, worked with Kevin Bacon. If you guys have done the degrees of Kevin Bacon, you know, follow that train, but also degrees of Star Wars. I'm sure there's like three people or something been, you know it's been so long since you gave us those that list that i forgot to to uh shit on you for that rule because that is terrible that's to, the greatest to, rule to go through that it's funny that rule it's sucks, funny but, but but yeah but to go through and actually pick them out and cast a movie especially um yeah we'll see when we get i there. have a but feeling you two will have similar casts when uh whatever movies <laughs> probably those, uh, we're paired with so, before the game, we did a quick little round of movie trivia, and Joe uh, uh, nearly edged out Bobby. So, Joe, where are we starting, and who is starting? All right, just to get this movie out of the fucking way, because I, <laughs> I, I said in the group chat that I took a big swing on one of the movies, and this is that oh, movie. Yeah. So, let's do Sahara from 2005, and I'll go first. All right, starting with Sahara. Interesting, not maybe not the direction I thought uh, we'd go with right off the bat, but all right. So Sahara from 2005 uh, got a 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was directed by Breck Eisner, who uh, also is famous for doing The Last Witch Hunter. Um, interestingly enough, but Sahara was his first big movie. Um, it is about a seasoned adventurer, Dirk Pitt. That's a great name, played by Matthew McConaughey. Sets out for the African desert with his sarcastic companion Steve Zahn in search of a ship rumored to have vanished long ago. The main draw being the treasure supposedly hidden within the lost vessel. When the daring duo come across a beautiful scientist played by Penelope Cruz who is juggling an escape from a warlord and a mission to stop the spread of a powerful plague, their desert expedition begins to heat up. That is the description. Sounds pretty crazy. Joe, what do you got for us? All right, so I did something very different with this movie. So basically I went and I looked up the book because this movie is based on a book from 1992. 
and the book sounds very 1990s and very much of its time. It's basically a mix of like Indiana Jones meets National Treasure meets Da Vinci Code, and considering it probably helped inspire the last two, which are far more famous, I felt it was nearly impossible to make an adaptation of the book without it feeling like you've seen it before. However, there is an aspect of the book that I found interesting because it, Johnny talked about in the description that they find this ship. Well, on the ship is this massive treasure and part of what got the ship into like the fictional history of this book is that Abraham Lincoln was kidnapped and put on this ship and that's the aspect of this movie that I actually found interesting and could make a good movie. So that's what I focused on is the kidnapping of Abraham Lincoln. So the movie opens with Jefferson Davis and Robert E. Lee seeing defeat on the horizon, trying to figure out how they can turn the tide of the war quickly. They come up with a plan they have called Sahara to kidnap Abraham Lincoln to force the Union to negotiate. Later, Abraham Lincoln is in the White House war room working, in the telegraph op working with the telegraph operators commanding the war. He leaves the White House via stagecoach where he is abducted by a group of Confederates in Union uniforms. Uh, United States Secretary of War Edwin Stanton, fearing public outrage and lack of faith in the Union, decides to stage the Lincoln's assassination and even hiring well-known actor John Wilkes Booth to play the part of the assassin. Meanwhile, when Jefferson Davis and Lee learn that the Union will not negotiate, they have Lincoln taken aboard the CSS Texas. A determined Lincoln must make his way through the members of the Confederate Navy aboard the CSS Texas and return to the U.S. in a tone similar to that of like a Die Hard or Air Force One starring real-life President Abraham Lincoln. However, he has trouble navigating the ship alone and after a major storm finds himself inside the banks of the Niger River in West Africa, where before he dies on the ship he hears that the Union has won the war. And so my director, I've decided to go with this, is Peter Berg. And to get to my rule, the rule I had to use for this is I have to cast Star Wars actors who worked with Kevin Bacon. <laughs> so my Abraham Lincoln is going to be played by Joel Edgerton. My Jefferson Davis is going to be played by Clint Howard. My Robert E. Lee is going to be played by Jim Cummings, who was a voice in the Star Wars animated shows. And Clint Howard was in, had a very small cameo role in Solo. Uh, my Edwin Stanton is going to be played by Greg Grunberg who uh, has like he was kind of a background character in the sequel trilogy. And then my John Wilkes Booth is going to be played by Elijah Wood, who was a voice in one of the Star Wars animated shows. And that's my pitch, because I didn't want to adapt the book. But it was well, still, right. it was st I'll say <laughs> it was still connected to the book, and it gives a backstory to the book, so book readers would still be interested in it. Okay. All right, very interesting direction to go. A lot different than the uh, description of the real uh, movie that came out. Bobby, yeah, I was like, that? did I ever watch the wrong movie? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, Tristan, just to get this out of the way, be, uh, Tristan gave me the same rule. So I had to cast oh, okay. Star Wars actors who had to work with Kevin Bacon. So um, I did not, I did not re, you know, do with the concept as far as Abraham Lincoln and all that. So I'll give you my cast and kind of who they play. So my lead, uh, kind of like Joe, is Joel Edgerton, um, and he's playing Dirk Pitt. Um, Ming-Na Wen, uh, who worked with um, in the Darkness with Kevin Bacon uh, and is on Mandalorian, is going to be uh, Zhao, the uh, WHO, the World Health Organization, or whatever. They're, they're the doctor they rescue. Woody Harrelson, who is in an All in the Family special with Kevin Bacon uh, in 2019, uh, is going to be um, Al Giardino. 
Um, Rose Byrne from X-Men First Class is going to be uh, Judy Gunn uh, instead of Rudy Gunn from the original. Um, Clint Howard from Apollo 13 and Solo is going to play. Um, he's just kind of a bad guy businessman. I didn't really give him a name, but he kind of can fit in as like a henchman type character. And then also Greg, Grun Greg Grunberg is also going to be in my movie again, who's another doctor. Didn't really give them a name, but kind of they're good side characters. Good uh, kind of give them a little little funny thing to do or something and that that's their character but what i basically found is that the um the plot of the movie i just i changed like a, a little bit of kind of the to focus it a little bit um but it's more the execution and they tried to make it just like a fun like vehicle for matthew mcconaughey and it really wasn't executed very well uh but someone who i would trust to work in an indiana jones type setting and someone who is actually set to direct the next one that I don't know if will ever actually happen is James Mangold. So that's who I have as my director. I think he can work in this adventure um, type setting um, and he can work well in kind of a Western-y kind of setting as we've seen with like 310 to Yuma and that. So I didn't really change too much of the plot. You uh, accept that I want it to focus on that the this business is they don't have the disease like spreading and they didn't start all that yet what they are looking for to focus it so the good guys and bad guys are both looking for the same thing at the same time is that it's low everyone knows that what they're looking for is located on the sunken ship so it kind of gives a focus kind of more like the indiana jones type things where you have the good team and bad team looking for something on this ship um, one to stop it from being spread and one to use it for their business and for the bad you know for their plot so I didn't really change much of it other than just kind of focusing it and giving it the tone more of Indiana Jones and something that I think I would want to see James Mangold see because I don't really trust that Indiana Jones 5 is actually going to happen. Uh, give Joel Edgerton a fun lead role that uh, I think he could really shine in. Um, and then uh, I think he would play well off of Ming-Na Wen and Woody Harrelson who are kind of the main other people in that movie. So uh, that's more what I did, just kind of focused it instead of having this big sprawling thing, just more of good guys go here, bad guys go here. Here, figuring out the plot along the way of why you know they want to get there and all that kind of more of indiana jones style all right all right um so with both pitches having been read tristan do you have questions for either of the competitors i have to say i like bobby's real choice more you know i think it matched better. i think, they're, I think those are pretty even actually yeah uh for for joe i do have a question uh the theme of the whole episode is that they're failed franchises, so I want you to kind of justify like doing this deep cut spinoff of a franchise that failed that nobody even knows. Like you, you justified it by saying like, oh, it connects to this thing from the book, but like, because I don't think you need the book or the movie for my movie to work. I think my movie, my movie is standalone on itself. It doesn't. You don't necessarily need the to read the book or know the book or even know that the book or movie exists for my movie to be fine because it's like a. You know, I don't want to say like prequel, but it is like before the movie takes place. Okay. Um, all right. So I have a couple questions. Quick one for Joe. Um, just because I like a title of a movie kind of making sense. Why would your movie be called Sahara? Uh, because mine is uh, because they're planning to take Abraham Lincoln to Sahara. And that's so that's the name of their operation. That's the name of Jefferson yeah. Davis and Robert E. Lee's operation as Sahara. Okay, so at least there's a connection to that in there. That's all I needed there. Bobby, um, why again is because in the original, 
you know, Dirk Pitt is just a treasure hunter, and that's the reason they're going for the Pope, and then they get mixed up in this mm-hmm. villain plot. Yeah. Who is he in your movie to, like, he obviously is looking for the same thing. So who exactly, what does he do? Like, why is he on this yeah. adventure? So it's the same thing. He's a treasure hunter, and he ends up running into, he gets mixed up with the doctors who he sees in a bad situation with the villains, and he saves them from them and realizes they're both going to, and that kind of mixes up with the plot. So they explain to him that these guys are also looking for the same ship and for this reason. Um, and it kind of changes his reasoning to get there. Like at first he just thinks it's the sunken treasure and then realizes there's something more dangerous that he needs to like prevent them from getting. Okay. And then he can help lead the doctors or the, yeah, because he's done the research he and he knows, where. he knows how to get there where it is. So he becomes the lead uh, and they are more informing him of what's there along the way you know okay all right i get that i like that um all right with that being said i'll say uh since joe pitched first and bobby just spoke i'll go joe why is your movie stronger than than bobby's we'll give you like five five or so minutes on this i think my movie's stronger just because you know they've tried maybe the tone wasn't fully right but they've tried bobby's movie before and it just you know it didn't work i feel like these adventure movies like we've seen it done with other franchises that are more popular and I feel like if you try this again, it's just going to get lost in the shuffle again. I don't know how great it can be if it can supersede the other movies in its genre. Or mine, it's just a fun action movie. Uh, where, because like Abraham Lincoln, historically, it makes sense for him. He's in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. He's been in 300 wrestling matches in his life and supposedly only lost one. I feel like you could make an interesting story for that and keep it like somewhat grounded and not have it be too crazy and too over the top and tell an interesting compelling story through that and yeah, people like uh, and i was just to add one more thing people like you know alternate history and alternate takes and i feel like that goes into that yeah i mean i get yours you're playing more into like it's like conspiracy theory stuff but that i feel like that plays itself out and some people especially with using abraham abraham lincoln specifically it's been played out a lot especially with like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, where people see that and might associate it with that style of movie, which doesn't sound like the one that you're really making. But you also, that goes away as soon as they watch the trailer and they see it's more like a ground, like that's why I picked Peter Berg, who's done movies like Lone Survivor and Patriot Day and more grounded movies like that, where they see the trailer and I think they're going to get the movie and see that it's not Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Yeah, but I find it is more interesting if you either go two ways with historical things like that, where it's either more over the top or it is straight historical, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter just didn't really execute very well. Um, But saying that it is kind of, it's just more of a fun action movie with him, I don't think takes it far enough to justify using Abraham Lincoln. But with mine, I would say it's more, as far as why mine's better and why it would work in adventure, one, I trust James Mangold. He, in this style of movie, I think would excel and get the tone that would that people would like. And as far as adventure movies not working, they have worked. It's just been in different settings recently. Like Guardians of the Galaxy is a treasure hunter going to open this thing, and then it becomes a team wow. sci-fi Marvel movie. And like you can just change, you know, little things. Sahara, you know, if you, uh, you know, you don't need to know the originals to go see this. Oh, it's an adventure. It's like Indiana Jones. It's like the, these movies, um, and it'll you'll get the concept if it's fun. And if it looks like a fun adventure with with a team um, that looks like they'll interact well together and have good dialogue, um, and then you have more of a simplified 
plot that isn't as convoluted as the first one, which is one of the reasons that it didn't succeed is that it's very convoluted and it kind of takes away from this, from the, the characters and from just like the vehicle it was supposed to be kind of for Matthew McConaughey. Um, overall, I just think it's, again, yours sounds a little bit too watered down for the concept you're going for. I would rather have you go all out balls, balls to the wall with the concept rather than kind of play it back to a little bit more more grounded but it's also not the real history um so i think it's just kind of in a weird middle ground to me but i also think with your movie like you said it is an adventure movie and we do have better adventure movies and i don't know what about your movie makes it different or better especially because you're taking a lot of the stuff out of the book i mean i know i'm taking mine out more but i'm completely just pivoting you're telling the same story and you're gonna take out a lot of stuff and what I've noticed a lot with like book adaptations is if the book fans don't like it, then no one else really goes to see it. And I feel like with your movie, people might not. They'll just be so, like, oh, it's not what I want to see. It's not the Sahara, where at least with my movie, they're like, oh, it's kind of like a prequel to the book I read. I think what mine does is really because sometimes what people get into problems with when they do adapt books is they try to fit everything in. So what I did is strip away what made what would work in a book that's where you can read it longer over a longer period of time and focus it so that that you can tell a more streamlined like two hour movie two hour 15 whatever it is like a shorter streamlined story that doesn't feel rushed and it doesn't feel all over the place and you have two sides that you can focus on you can focus on the villains really get to know what they're doing and their plan focus on the heroes get to know their characters along the way you still have them as a treasure hunter it's still the james it's still like the basic concept and you know that it is dirk pitt it is this character it's not abraham lincoln yeah, um, which people love takes Abraham Lincoln. So no one cares I, about I have Dark a question. Um, here's my my question because I would hate to go through this argument of you guys having to research this rule without getting into the casting. You guys obviously have similar things. I think the most important for, um, two roles for these type of movies that both of you pitched are the hero, which both of you have Joel Edgerton. So I think that one kind of edges each other out. Like I think those are pretty even. But I need both of you to sell me real quick on why is your villain choice better? Because the reason that I'm going to see this action movie is to see the hero, and I'm going to see an interesting villain. And I feel like if you fail on the villain role, this whole movie fails. So I want to hear from both of you. And I'll start with Bobby. Mm-hmm. Who, is your, who even is your main yeah. villain, and why so, am I sold on So what I did, and I don't know if I even said it when I was going through the cast, but my, my main hero group is the Joel Edgerton, Ming-Na Wen, um, Rose Byrne and Greg Grunberg. And then my villain is Woody Harrelson. Um, and he is my businessman type character that is going through. And so I think he's just one. I'd like to see Woody Harrelson play a villain because I think he can play it just enough over the top that is awesome and not to the level of what he tried to do in like the post credit scene in Carnage. But, you know, Woody Harrelson can be amazing. He's a gr- great actor. And when you pair him with James Mangold, I think you get a great performance. So he's going to have a, tw- a tinge of like, like Bondism villain things in him where he has just the slight amount of crazy, but he still has this driving and he's kind of still sinister. Um, and I think Woody Harrelson could pull that off and be really compelling so that you like each group. You like watching each group when they're on screen. Okay. And Joe? Yeah, I still, like, uh, like I want to, yeah. what was, uh, so my villain was, I mean, I didn't have quite a big name, but I went with like, you know, kind of legendary character actor. Uh, Clint Howard, you know, who's been around since he was, you know, a young child. And I think it'd be interesting to kind of give him more of the kind of spotlight as the main antagonist that he's going against. 
in this movie. And he's, he's a henchman for Woody for me. <laughs> um, because yeah, Clint Howard is in is in both your movies. I at least picture Joe. What describe to me? I really am curious to hear what Elijah Wood's role as John Wilkes Booth because I think that would be the more memorable performance than anything Clint Howard would ever do. Well, so sell me on that. Uh, I mean, basically it was more like intended to be a smaller role because he's just hired as like the background guy to be, you know, he's like this famous actor and you could get, you know, a little bit more comedic scenes out of him because he's hired to basically assassinate fake Abraham Lincoln to cover up the fact that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. Okay. All right. Um, I think I have my decision. Tristan, you start though. Maybe you can, you can change my mind because I'm not totally sold on either one. Um, what, what, which way were you leaning and why? Uh, I was kind of split on this. I, I'm not totally sold on either one. I'm, I'm leaning towards uh, Bobby right now, but not by a lot. I think Joe took a big risk, but as Bobby was talking, I got on his side when he said, I wish that Joe went further to the risk. I wish he went bigger with the action and more kind of ridiculous with it. Not fully ridiculous like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter level, but I wish Joe pushed it a little more because I think this would... People would go here either expecting Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter and being disappointed that it's not that, or they just won't go because they'll think, oh, this is Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. <laughs> I think you had to had to just go a little more ridiculous with it. So I just I'm leaning a little bit towards Bobby on that, but I'm curious where you're going, Johnny. Okay. Um so this was a movie I chose. Um so I'll make the final decision on that. Um yeah, I, I kind of went back and forth because Joe's, at first, I did get big Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter vibes and that movie did not work at all for me because it took itself so seriously. Joe made his movie sound a little more fun and I think it's more of the tone that I'd be looking for, except that I don't know if Peter Berg really fits in with that. I think that, you know, he's done Patriot's Day and all those Mark Wahlberg movies and he's never really shown that he does anything that's not overly serious. Um Bobby sounds like maybe um, a run-of-the-mill adventure movie, but I do like his cast. Um, I like Woody Harrelson as the villain, but I am worried he'd just be like he was in Solo, very forgettable, um, and have like a little standoff at the end with the Joel Edgerton, but you overall wouldn't remember. But I think um, because of the director choice with Jeff, with Mangold, I'd like to see Woody Harrelson work with him. And, and I do think that kind of is what it comes down to overall i get maybe an overly serious vibe out of joe's movie and i get maybe more of a fun adventure out of bobby's and i trust mangled to do a movie that sounds more watchable and when it came down to it i would rather see joel edgerton work with um james mangold than i would rather see him be abraham lincoln in a peter berg movie so i I, i'm gonna go with bobby on this but ever so slightly so bobby edges out joe um, on the on the first movie, but Joe took a risk and and he almost got it. I, I think I I would rather like some people are at least aware of the movie Sahara. Bobby sounded more like Sahara than than Joe's, but yeah. Joe put in the research to do something a little wild and wacky. And I, I think, think it was, it was a little bit a little bit more wild and wacky, a little bit more yeah. ridiculous. That would have been in a little bit more. I, I think Joe, if you went with maybe a director that has shown that he can do a little bit more wild and wacky and how do would, something a little more fun, I would have been more sold on how on a different. So how would you have felt if I had went with Catherine Bigelow and kind of pitched more of like a point break tone? Because that was like who I, I mean, originally had. Yeah, that's why I, mean, I didn't I go with her. Better on that, but I, I think 
just going with, yeah. I know we've used him a ton in this, and maybe he's not exactly who I'm thinking of, but even like a James Gunn type, yeah. where I know that like that Elijah Wood as John Wilkes Booth would be a memorable character with the right director, but yeah. I can't see that being a very memorable role mm-hmm. in um, a, a Peter Berg movie. Yeah. Like so. Zack Snyder or yes, <laughs> I, sh- I should have just done. Young, yeah. I was like, I already said yeah. Abraham Lincoln Vampire yeah. Hunter is basically a Zack Snyder movie. I should have so. just right. done Quentin Tarantino and like rolled with the alternate history take. That could have been something. I yeah, I didn't even yeah. think about that until right yeah, now. I didn't think about that until yeah. yeah, until you said it. But that mm-hmm. would have been an interesting one to to sell us on. All right, so Bobby. You won that point, so Joe. We have live comments. Again. I don't know if any if anyone's on the Twitch stream looking. I can say the live comments too. If you I have no idea. You, you, Sam. So, so basically, uh, Paul, uh, twenty twenty, however, whatever the fuck their name is. Sorry, Paul. Says seriously, Welcome back, Paul. Seriously, yeah. uh, how many Star Wars actors worked with Kevin Bacon? You guys are cruel. Then they <laughs> said, "Have you considered going head to head on the rules instead of the movies?" And then Dune Slug commented as well. And then basically, yeah. So the next batch that we do. So next week is. Johnny vs. Tristan with me and Johnny judging it. It's the same way of, like, we paired up their movies. And then we're doing a Mount Rushmore. And then our theme is basically all the rules we've been Mm -hmm. avoiding this entire time because we're not sure what to do with that. And at that time, it's going to be rule vs. rule instead of movie vs. movie. Yeah. So we are doing that eventually. Like, was it three weeks away? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. We'll probably do, um, because in between that, we're going to do a Mount Rushmore comedy episode. So we're going to do that after so yeah three weeks sounds right um tristan i i texted you just a reminder on uh who's making the decisions in some of these because it's been a little while since we uh have made these and apologies for last week we planned on doing this episode everyone watching but um work schedules and power outages got in the way of yeah. being able to do that so we we pushed it to uh to today and then so that's why we did not have an episode last week but you guys can watch uh tristan and joe's reviews of uh bucky and the birdman as i like to call it um which uh, i think has been surprisingly uh pretty good for me at least yeah. so far but i gotta check out your guys reviews um see what you you know to kind yeah. of hear i gotta upload it down i gotta upload the most recent one to youtube i keep forgetting i've really come around on it i think it, it'd be fun to watch the v- reviews back honestly if i go back and watch the show again because my opinion has changed a lot over the course of the episodes yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, before definitely we sidetrack completely... Show to binge. Yeah. Yeah. All right. yeah. yeah, I've been waiting until there's at least two episodes every time, so I don't watch it week to week. So, Joe, what what are we doing next, and who's right. going first? Uh, Lone Ranger, I'll go first, and then don't forget to up, up, uh, update the scoreboard, Tristan. Yes. You're right. Um, all right, so the Lone Ranger. Um, that oh. came out in 2013 with a... 30% score on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, the director for that was Gore Verbinski. Um, and uh, this is the description. In 1933, a boy discovers an ancient Native American in a sideshow carnival tent. The Indian is Tonto, played by Johnny Depp. Yep, that's right. The old companion of John Reed, Army Hammer. Also uh, problematic. A lawman more famously known as the Lone Ranger. With this opportunity to set the record straight about uh, his and Reed's adventures, Tonto recalls the day in 1869 when he first encountered the man who would be uh, his trusted friend and tells of their teamwork bringing down Butch Cavendish, played by William Fickner, um, and other Old West outlaws. Yeah, I forgot that's what this movie was. I saw it on TV once, and I was like, why is Johnny Depp in, like, 
a, a museum. Very strange uh, overall, this movie. So I'm interested to see what you guys do with it because it was a very famous TV show. So, Joe, you're going first. Uh, sell us on your version of The Lone Ranger. All right, so my director is going to be David McKenzie, who directed Hell or High Water. My John <laughs> Reed is going to be played by Wyatt Russell. My Tonto is going to be played by Gil Birmingham. My Lone Ranger is going to be played by Kevin Costner. And then my leader of the outlaw gang, who I didn't really give a name to because I didn't feel like making up a name, was Timothy Oliphant. So, in 2021, young, struggling Texas Ranger John Reed and five other Rangers are ambushed by members of a cartel they were investigating. Instead of killing them and leaving evidence, the cartel kidnaps them and sends them back in time, back to various points in time. Because that's the rule I'm forced to use, is that this movie must include time travel. John, who blames himself for what happened, finds himself back in the Old West alone and out in the desert. He spends several days confused and just trying to survive when he sees a man on a horse running towards him. The man wears a black mask. He thinks it's a hallucination because there is no way it could be him. He's just a myth. The man introduces himself as the Lone Ranger. John has heard stories about the Lone Ranger since he was a kid, and those stories were why he became a ranger himself. But he didn't think they were real. The Lone Ranger offers his assistance and to take him into town. We find out that the Lone Ranger is off to find his oldest friend Tonto while being chased by a band of outlaws. Before they reach the town, the outlaws catch up to John and the Lone Ranger and there's a shootout. Unfortunately, the Lone Ranger doesn't make it and John is wounded badly. The outlaws remove the Lone Ranger's mask, but they realize they don't recognize him and have no idea who he is. The outlaws get back on their horses and ride away, leaving John for dead. John sees the Lone Ranger's mask blowing in the wind and puts it into his pocket before hurling himself over the Lone Ranger's horse who carries him into town. Everyone in town is shocked by what they see. The horse eventually stops outside of a small house on the edge of town and neighs until an older Native American, Tonto, steps out. Between bouts of coughing up blood, John is able to tell Tonto what happened. However, he leaves out the part of time travel. Tonto nurses John back to health and tells him that those outlaws fear no man. John, who wants revenge, looks over at the mask on the table across the room and realizes if he puts on the mask, he will become, he will become more than a man. The rest of the movie is a revenge western where Tonto teaches John how to be the Lone Ranger as John goes after the outlaws who left him for dead and killed the original Lone Ranger. And it's a story about a man who feels like a failure as a Texas Ranger who must become the Texas Ranger. And that's my pitch. Joe, who plays your Tonto? Uh, Gil Birmingham. Gil Birmingham. He's like, okay, I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, what's his face is partner in Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water. Yeah. Jeff Bridges partner. Yeah, Jeff Bridges partner. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He's in all his movies. Um, all right. I like that. I, there's one change that I think could have put your movie a little over the top for me to, to really sell me on it. Um, in terms of your acting choices, but also speaking of, uh, that had a lot of Falcon and the Winter Soldier vibes uh, with a part of that. White Russell. So, uh, yeah. yeah. White Russell taking the mantle of yep. a famous hero. Yeah. Um, yep. Bobby, what, what do you got for us? Uh, so I was given the rule of that this has to be a four-hour epic. Um, and so I chose a director for this movie that I think is one of the only ones that could pull off a four-hour Lone Ranger movie that I would want to see, and that is Quentin Tarantino. So I'm bringing Quentin Tarantino in to do a four-hour revenge western with the lone ranger um so like i said it's a revenge western my cast i have uh brad pitt as john reed the lone ranger i have zon mclernan who is in longmire uh, the fargo tv show and he was in um uh bone tomahawk as my tonto 
Um, my Butch Cavendish, who is like the famous uh, villain in the Lone Ranger series, is going to be played by Kurt Russell. Um, I have Tim Roth as one of his henchmen. I have Samuel L. Jackson as a sheriff that they run into that kind of directs them towards kind of what's going on. Um, and then I, they run into a variety of Tarantino actors along the way, as is normal with his movies. So I like, you know, Michael Madsen, Harvey Keitel just kind of pop in in the towns as kind of guys that maybe say they saw something happen or whatever from this gang. But the beginning of my movie shows the origin of John Reed being the lone, ra- lone survivor of a group of Texas Rangers attacked by Butch Cavendish and his crew. Uh, and John being found by Tonto and being brought back to health, creating their lifelong partnership. This scene establishes Butch, um, as, an in- Butch as the intimidating, charismatic villain, because that's, that's Kurt Russell. Uh, then we cut to now Lone Ranger and Tonto in their 50s, still prote- protecting Texas, but um, have not really caught on, have not been able to catch up to Butch. Um, and they're kind of starting to think their time might be coming to an end. So we kind of have Lone Ranger at the end of his career with Tonto. Uh, we follow the Lone Ranger and Tonto uh, taking out bandits, doing a variety of misdeeds. This kind of, you know, adds the four-hour runtime. You need adventure. So we get them in the beginning kind of doing their thing. We get their backstory. Then you have them stopping um, a bank robbery, um, a kidnapping of a wealthy man's daughter, uh, this establishing their relationship, getting their dialogue with Quentin Tarantino going. Um, they run into Sam Jackson's sheriff character and says that he heard um, – that a train is going to be hijacked uh, in the coming days. And in order to get ahead of it, the Lone Ranger and Tonto board the train disguised, waiting for the ambush, instead of trying to catch up to the train, as a lot of Westerns do. When it happens, this leads to a big action scene that includes the Lone Ranger being like thrown off the train, borrowing someone else's horse, and Tonto helping him back on. You get some fun action. Um, they save the train, uh, but notice a brand on the bandits. They think back and realize they saw the same brand on a, on a few of their other encounters. Getting a closer look, they recognize the symbol as Butch Cavendish's kind of gang, uh, the sign of his gang. We get a scene with Butch as we now that now that he is now established as part of the story, we can now cut back and forth to him with him talking to his crew, revealing his plan to distract all of law enforcement and the Lone Ranger by pulling jobs all across different towns to spread them thin. So when they rob the biggest bank in Texas, making him the most powerful man um, in the state, uh, there would only be a few men there to try to stop them. Um, so this leads now to a big, you know, Tarantino-esque shootout with two, two, just Tonto and the Lone Ranger, and that's it, going up against an entire group gang of people led by, uh, by Kurt Russell's character, and you get a big bloody ending to the movie with a shootout and Lone Ranger and Tonto making it out at the end. All right, interesting. Um... Okay, so Tristan, um, do you have any questions for these two after their pitches? I'm a big fan of both of the pitches. I'm not going to lie. They both went and, well, they both had different rules. So, I mean, I was almost, I was like, wow, Joe used the rule really well. And I was like, well, he didn't pick the rule. But I mean, it's still up to me to use it well and not bot. Like, you could very easily botch that rule choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah time travel right. in the Lone Ranger was risky yeah. one, but I knew Joe uh, would use it. Right. This was just this was Tristan's apology to me. It was four hour Lone Lone Ranger. Yeah, when it came. Yeah, I don't even think that one's that bad. bad. It it wasn't terrible, but it was just funny that he put "I'm sorry" in it, and I was like, yeah, if if it's a four hour Gore Bravinsky Lone Ranger, that would be <laughs> awful. But <laughs> yeah, I was nervous to, to see what you do with the four hour cut of uh lone ranger the snyder cut version so i'm excited that we got a tarantino cut of, of lone ranger i'd love i'd like to see that too so i'm i'm 
I'm a big fan of both of these. I honestly just want to hear you guys argue it out, but I want to hear what Johnny has questions too. Um, one, I had to ask Joe the same question, but Bobby, who is your Tonto? Uh, Zahn McLearnan. If you look him up, you'll know his face. He's from Longmire. Um, he's on, uh, Fargo, the TV show. And oh, he was in yeah, yeah. Uh, Bone Tomahawk. Yeah. That's who I looked up Longmire and then I had to like go through it and I was like, wait, I forget who he said. So I will say I that too. I would have cast his Tonto yeah. too. I was like, I this like guy. that guy a lot. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. he's, a, he's a great actor. I could buy him as Tonto for sure. Mm-hmm. I like that. I, I also like Gil Birmingham. I thought, um, you know, there are only so many directions you can go with Tonto. Um, Not Johnny Depp. Yeah. Or <laughs> Army Johnny Hammer Depp as your lead. Yeah, that, that's an interesting <laughs> oh, movie God. to look, look um, back on now. My my one question for Joe uh, is this. Man, how could you miss... First of all, I, I don't give a shit about Kevin Costner. I mean, that show was just like a Instead, small cameo yeah, opening. He's a small role. But Joe, you really could have made this like a home run for me if you had also cast Kurt Russell in that role and made it like his great-grandfather. I would have loved to see Wyatt oh, Russell yeah. as... as uh, and Kurt Russell working together for a little while. So yeah. that I thought was pretty obvious, like a, of a miss, but that's not really so much a question rather than yeah, pointing so- that out. But I do, I do think like, because at first when you said Kevin Costner, I was like, Oh no. But then it was like, Oh, he's a small role. He dies pretty quickly. Yeah. He's like the original Lone Ranger, the, which I thought made yeah. sense for like a Western kind of thing. Yeah. It makes sense. I got to throw back to like an old Western actor. Um, so yeah, I, I don't really have a, a question. Maybe Joe. So, Obviously, yours involves time travel and he goes back. Does your movie end up with him just staying back in the past yeah. and becoming the Lone Ranger? Yeah, that's how, that's how my movie like ends. It's like he's just like right. accepted his fate. Like he's in the past now and he's now the new Lone Ranger. All right, I like that. I like that you didn't have some bizarre plot of him trying to find a way to. Get no, back it's to basically the like he looks around and he's like, "Yeah, I'm just stuck here. Like it sucks, but I don't really have a way to get back." So. I like that. That's a new dynamic for a time travel movie I don't know if we've ever seen, so I like that a lot. So, um, we'll start with Bobby. Why is your movie stronger than, than Joe's? We'll give you guys about five minutes on this argument, and I'm going to grab a drink. So, I think uh, what it comes down to is we both said that ours are revenge westerns. Yep. Um, Joe's, what he did, it, like it has a very interesting opening with the time travel, but then from then on, I think I picked a better director for a revenge western because... Um, Hell or High Water, like, that's a very good Western movie, and it's a family-oriented, them getting back at the bank and all that, but it's not necessarily, like, a, it's not a heavy action movie. It's not really been shown to... It, that's not the strength of that movie. It's the characters and, like, the dialogue and that. Tarantino, to me, can, one, entertain you over a four-hour span that, that mine would do with witty dialogue, great characters, and then when there's action, it's great action, and it's you know, over the top and it's Tarantino-esque um, in a Western. And I think that would entertain you more than kind of a really interesting opening to then turn into more of a run-of-the-mill revenge Western. So that's that's kind of what I'm getting with, with that. And my defense for that is the one thing I didn't really get into my pitch that I was saving for my arguments. It's one of the best parts of Hell or High Water is like all of the side characters, whether it's like the waitress and like that Jeff Bridges has to pay off or like the what don't you want waitress or like the uh when they rob the bank there's an old guy there when it opens and he like starts chasing after them and shooting and so one of the things i wanted to do was like in this town kind of fill it with those type of characters and like those kind of small characters that are in there for like one scene or like half a scene or two scenes 
that can be those fun, interesting characters, and it's like you kind of understand, and you ca can make you care about this town because you get a glimpse of various citizens in it. Like you could see, like, oh, here's the bartender at the saloon, or here's, you know, maybe kind of the sheriff that's in over his head, and just all these small, interesting characters, and I think that could be kind of where david mckenzie's strength is and that's yeah. why i picked him for my guy and i feel like well it's you're still underestimating him because the shootout at the end you know it's very like tense edge of your seat and hell or high water where they're uh going against uh chris pine and his brother oh and it is and it and the um the direction of that movie is very good but really i think the magic of hell or high water was really in the writing um with with uh sheridan uh writing that and if you look at um, David McKenzie's, McKenzie's filmography, like Hell or High Water is like the major standout of his by a lot. So I don't know if that, like just saying, oh, he did this Western really well, he can do this one. I think he needs a great script and he needs something like that. I think the the, the script is very smart in that movie and, that, and, the, and the family oriented, that's what you follow really well. And he, he did, he put it to the screen well, but I, I don't know if just his style alone is going to differentiate it from a lot of other revenge westerns are from anything like that whereas tarantino doing a revenge western we know that works and it's awesome he's done it and it's been great um but he can pull off different you know this is this would be his first forego into like a franchise you know but it's a franchise that if he were, were to do it this is the type of franchise he would do where it's this old school serialized show that he loves referencing um, and he could take this and do crazy things with it because people right now don't care about Lone Ranger being like, oh, it has to like stay true to like a PG-13 or being like this family-friendly thing. He can go balls out uh, bonkers with it and have a fun and, you know, Tarantino, talk about character work. Everyone you meet in this movie is going to be interesting. That's what he does. That's, that is his thing. If you talk about the side characters in Hell or High Water, that's what, he, that's what Tarantino does with all his movies. You love all the characters. Um, I also think that Brad Pitt, just being the lead of his movies, it always seems to work, and he's always great. And I think he fits that Texas. He can pull off that Texas macho, got old guy that's kind of uh, maybe getting to the end of his career, but he he wants to still do his job and protect what he can protect. And then you get a great actor like Zon McLaren, and I think they would play off each other really well. Um, Gil Abraham, like he was very good in it. When I picture Tonto, I don't really picture him as Tonto. That's more of a visual thing. I do picture more. Well, mine of my, is more of like guy. an older Tonto too, because it's you know he's had his run as Tonto with the original. Right, and which is interesting older. that you have it. You, so you have the younger Lone Ranger and older Tonto. Um, I don't know. It's just the dynamics of yours. I and then also just as far as entertainment value, I just think yours could fall into other than the interesting opening with time travel, a more generic story from then that point on where mine would be Tarantino, which, you know, in the, in this Western style would be a little bit more stylistic, a little bit more fun to watch in this, um, in this genre. And then I think my actors, my leads, Brad Pitt, you know, a little better as of now than Wyatt Russell, who is still coming up and learning and getting better and better. But, you know, he's, I do like him in Falcon Winter Soldier, but he's a little unlikable, quite a I bit mean, unlikable in that. But he's like in aiming that. to be unlikable so. when you see him oh, in I know. other things. He does it well. When you, when you see him well. in other things where he's trying to be likable, like in his episode right. of Black Mirror and stuff, he pulls it off. Like he's, it's not like he's unlikable and trying to be likable. He's trying to be unlikable and is unlikable. So and yeah, I, but and, he's nowhere near the likableness of of a Brad Pitt type. So. That's where I'd get as far as that is that yeah. the lead the leads are concerned. You just have a more established yeah. um, actor in in mine in a Tarantino movie where I know that he'll get that job done and do it well. 
and yours is like I, I think he could but it's not a hundred percent slam dunk for sure especially yeah. with the director being kind not a one-hit wonder but he has the one movie that stands well above the rest of his work it seems to me it's like he's he's good he, um i'll say this um I don't know if any of you guys have seen the movie Starred Up, which he did in 2013 with Jack O'Connell and uh, the dude who, Ben Mendelsohn. That movie's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, he also has this adventure movie on Netflix that has been on my watch list with Chris Pine called like Outlaw mm-hmm. King or yeah. something. So I do, I do think he's, uh, Bobby's not giving him enough yeah. credit yeah. for his and well, I, It's just more of the, the, what I was getting is I think the magic of Hell or High Water comes in the, the writing and he did a really good job with it. I'm just comparing him to Tarantino as far as style in this Western. I just prefer no. a Tarantino style for a revenge Western than and what t- David t- McKenzie And my one knock, I mean, Tarantino's great, but my one knock against Tarantino directing this movie is we've seen him do multiple Westerns at this point and it's like how many times can you do a Western and where it's like, oh, I saw you do that, that in this movie or I saw you do that in this movie. Where I think one of the great things Tarantino has done is switch up the genres pretty much every time and if he keeps going back to the Western genre, I feel like he's going to become more derivative of himself. And I'd, especially with a four-hour movie, I feel like that could very easily happen where it's just like, oh, this is just Django but instead of, you know, a slave getting revenge, it's just like uh, Brad Pitt's Lone Ranger character getting revenge. Right, but I'd, I'd say as far as the knock on it being that Tarantino... He, it's been, you know, I think if he were to do a franchise, it would be a Western type thing is, would be the franchise that he would go for. Would a serialized Trek, Western. Anything, that's the one thing he's been pitching. Well, that's the one he that he's, he's been circling, but I don't think they'd ever let, I don't think they'd no, ever No, they're not going to let him, but that. that's what he wants to do. He, I don't think Tarantino, yeah, Tarantino's, but he would do this too. I, I just don't know if I've ever seen him like have interest in. Yeah. I, I'll say this. I have my decision made up, but Tristan has the final decision. So Tristan, Either you have your mind made up or give them a guidance to like one last yeah. point you want them to make. But I have my decision made up, so your call. Yeah, ultimately just in that last minute or so I did make my mind up, so I ha I'm I'm pretty decided right now. But I don't wanna give since I'm making the final decision, I don't wanna play my hand too much before I hear your thoughts, Jenny. Yeah, I'll say this. I was kinda of waiting for Joe to make the point, but my feelings on it are um Django Unchained is one of my favorite Tarantino movies. I like it more than most people. And then I was super disappointed in The Hateful Eight. And then after that, and I know Tristan likes that more than me, so I'm interested to see what he thinks of this. But I love, like Joe said, Tarantino visiting different genres with all of his movies. And I have no interest in him going back to making a Western, especially a four-hour version of it, because Hateful Eight's problem was it was way too long because he wanted this play-type movie with an intermission. And that movie would have been much stronger if you cut about 45 minutes or a half hour off of that movie. Um, and I think expanding Django Unchained to four hours would make that movie much weaker. Um, I think that tells a very strong story in like the two and a half hours it it tells it. And I don't need an hour and a half more um, in that world. And I definitely don't need four more hours of Tarantino doing the Western. So for me personally, I go with Joe because I do really like David McKenzie as a director. He's done some interesting work. I don't know if anyone has seen Startup, but I recommend that. I watched that a long time ago when I saw Hell or High Water, and uh, I got to give that one a revisit because I remember really, really enjoying that. Um, and despite Joe not going with the uh, White Russell, going back and visiting his great grandfather, the Lone Ranger, Kurt Russell, um, I think would have made it like a hundred percent win for me. I think this one, pretty clear for me, was uh, 
was Joe, mainly because it is a, a tough thing to sell uh, a four-hour Lone Ranger movie. A, 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 like a, a, if I'm going to go see the Lone Ranger, I'm never wasting my time seeing four-hours version of it. Um, I would rather go see like a two-hour, 15-minute version that, that Joe pitched for me. So I think just because, mainly because the source material doesn't need the four-hour version, I'd go with, uh, with Joe. Yeah. I tried to make it as interesting as possible for four hours. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think, though, like, if you went with, like, I don't like him, but if you went with a Zack Snyder, I could have been like, well, it's, he's never done a Western. I know he can do four hours. I think he needs four hours, like, to mm-hmm. make his movies. I don't think Tarantino – I think Tarantino is perfect at, like, two and a half hours. Yeah. I think it gets – But would I ever risk – if it might if it might have been your choice to ever pick Zack Snyder? <laughs> no, but if you did, Tristan would definitely have – Yeah, I mean, all you got to do is take – land roll the dice yeah. you know and you, you never know who you land on but i'm yeah. ultimately felt going down the same route that johnny went down but i think i was closer than him you guys definitely were back and forth a lot for me on this uh i wasn't going to hold it against you that tarantino's done this multiple times until joe brought it up so i was curious if he was going to bring it up and then he brought it up at the last second so i was like well i guess well, I'm i was waiting for him to talk it wasn't really... like last second it was like he was talking for a while and i'm like well i got this locked in the chamber so just waiting for him yeah, to I, was talking. For I was trying to let you not say that because i know that's like the big that would have been the big yeah. knock so i love bobby's casting of tanto but i also love Wyatt Wyatt russell if, if you've been watching our falcon and winter soldier reviews i've been really into his character on there so i'm excited to see what he does next i think joe is just feels more of like an exciting interesting movie and i'm not gonna lie if i walked into the theater and they were like oh we've got it's an alternate universe we've got these two lone ranger versions coming out on the same day you can see one or the other i'm probably gonna go see the david mckenzie one over the tarantino one at this point because i just think it's a more interesting movie so i'm going with joe's nice yeah i was never i wasn't sold on white russell after um joe and i both watched the uh the nazi movie overlord and i thought overlord, overlord which I thought was disappointing. I, I wasn't yeah. interested in it, but because of how much I hate him in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I know he's, he's doing a good he's, job. Oh, he's really good. Yeah, tell that to everyone on Twitter, though. Yeah. I know. Like, I, I cast him last time we fought as uh, the... I, uh, I think he's a great actor, and, and I, I would have liked... Joe just, just missed that opportunity yeah. to put him with Yeah, like it was so close, because... Awesome. Because originally I had Chris Pine as my, I had the same story, but I had Chris Pine as my lead, and then Wyatt Russell as my original. And then at some point I think I switched it to Kevin Costner because I just felt like he did more westerns and it was you a small. Could throw back to westerns. And then, and then I decided that Chris Pine was too old for the role I wanted him to be in, so I switched it to Wyatt Russell. So it was like very close to being Wyatt okay. and Kurt Russell. Very close. I, I figured I thought that's who you were going to say. And then you went a different direction. And I was like, Yeah, if you don't know why Kurt Russell it. fighting side by side is two Lone Rangers, one from the past, one from the future, I'd have been like, Okay, Bobby, you don't even have to like read <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> Bobby, don't even read it. Yeah. <laughs> We're good. Um All right, but yeah, well, so so that ties it up at one one and Bobby is choosing what movie we go with next. All right, well I'm gonna go with Aragon. Um and I'll go first on this Thank one. Fuck. Don't forget to update the scoreboard either. All right. So I'm excited because I know what rule I chose for Joe. I'm extremely excited to see how he used it. Um, Aragon came out in 2006. It was a very popular book. Um, shout out to my friend in elementary school, Andy Baghdadi, was obsessed with this. And when it came out, I was like, I do not get it. It got a 16% of Rotten Tomatoes. Um, the director is interesting because it's uh, Stefan uh, Fangmeier, 
he was he this is the only movie he's ever directed he was a visual effects guy on jurassic park and he's now like working on game or he was working on game of thrones but he's one of the biggest visual effects guy in hollywood and this is the only movie he directed so i found that interesting so aragon played by ed spielers um a poor farm boy lives in Alagasia, um, a kingdom ruled by Galbatorix, played by John Malkovich, um, a powerful but evil monarch. One day, Aragon discovers a beautiful stone that he soon realizes is a dragon's egg. When the creature hatches, Aragon sets forth on a path that could restore the glory of his homelands, legendary dragon riders, and perhaps overthrow Galbatorix, played again by John Malkovich. This movie exists. Um, so, Bobby, I'm sorry. Who did you say is uh, going first uh, on this? I'll go first. Hey, Tristan, make All sure right. you give the point to the right person. I'm interested. Uh, yeah, it's one one. Very important. Trying to make him run away with it, you know? Yeah. What's funny? Media. What's funny so far is I had the deciding decision on the first movie, and I chose Bobby, and Tristan had the deciding uh, thing on that yeah. movie, and he chose Joe, which are the opposites of the rules we we won on. So. We are unbiased. We are just looking for the best movies. So, Bobby, what do you got for Aragon? All right. So my Aragon, uh, I, I only cast two, like, actors in the movie because the rest is in the very beginning of mine. Um, and you could put pretty much anyone in the roles. But my my Aragon is going to be played by Jack Dylan Grazier from uh, uh, It and from Shazam. Um, and my Safira, the dragon, his dragon is going to be voiced by Tilda Swinton because I think her voice would would do well for this. Um, the beginning of my movie shows at least because to give people the background of who Aragon is, finding the dra- dragon egg and bonding, raising the dragon and establishing that Safira Safira speaks to him telepathically. Um, you kind of get a little bit of the backstory this whole beginning, and then one day suddenly they hear a strange noise coming from the distance. Is that another dragon? Aragon says. Sphere says, that's no dragon. Oh, by the way, my director's Adam Wingard, if you can see where this is going. Uh, we then see a, a pterodactyl-type creature Godzilla fans would recognize as Rodan. We get a monster battle in the sky between Sephira um, and Rodan with the monster crashing to the ground. Um, and after the battle, Sephira wins, saying that she was able to communicate with the creature, and it was from a place called Kaijujima, also known as Monster Island, which Godzilla fans would also recognize. They decide that if there are creatures like this out there, um, that they cannot be safe on their land. So they set out to go take out these creatures on Monster Island and investigate, uh, see what's there. They venture to Monster Island. We basically have a big monster fight and with character moments in between with them kind of growing and and talking about what this place really means if it exists. You get the character interactions between Aragon and the dragon. That kind of fills the time in in between and searching the island for these different creatures and what threats they could bring. So we see fights with Gigon, Megalon, Baragon, and others. And these play out as a mixture of monster battles and Pokemon battles, with Aragon giving commands and leading the strategy of the fights with kind of the magic and the telepathy. So that gives Aragon more of stuff to do uh, during the fights, give like, oh, you know, use your breath, do this type of stuff, or, you know, use that mountain, use this kind of direction a little bit so that you have, it's not just monster type things during the battle with Angiris, um Sephira sends a fire blast into a mountain revealing it was a volcano we then see, see a blue energy blast come from the hole Sephira created Godzilla steps out to, pr- to protect his friend or his friend Angiris. 
we get a Godzilla Sophia fight in which Godzilla ends up winning. Um, instead of killing her, however, we get more of what he did kind of with Kong, trying to show dominance um, and able to com and Sophia is able to, com to communicate uh, and says to Aragon that we have to go. It is explained that, God that Godzilla is the ruler of this island. He keeps them all in check, and that's why they're really, they have not seen them uh, throughout history as of now. Rodan had dropped Godzilla into a volcano and he temporarily, and then when he escaped, he now was able to keep everything kind of in check. Uh, with the understanding that they mean no harm, Aragon and Sephira fly back, uh, sensing that sensing that there's trouble back home, but knowing that they would have if anything did happen to Godzilla, that they would have to come back to the island. Sorry, Bobby, speaking of all these monsters, I had to kill a spider that was on my wall. Um, I was over here Googling every name you said to get a good picture of everyone that they were fighting. <laughs> I'm excited oh, to see what I Joe did. I very yeah. well. Um, I'm, I'm interested in it. But, yeah, Joe, um, I'm now extremely interested in seeing <laughs> what we did because Tristan and I, spoiler, have very common minds on <laughs> Way to spoil movies. my movie, man. Exactly. I'm, I'm here to do that. But Joe, um, I'm going to go throw out this spider. So tell me what uh, what you got. All right. So to start off, my director is going to be Guillermo del Toro. My Aragon is uh, George McKay. Uh, he's the lead in 1917. Uh, my King Galbatorix is going to be Rafe Fiennes. My voice of Sephira is going to be Helen Mirren. My Brahm is going to be Sean Bean. My uncle Garo is Idris Elba, and his son, the cousin of my main character, uh, Warren, or cousin Warren, is going to be Alfred Enoch, who is in uh, Harry Potter. And then my character of Arya is going to be played by Zendaya. So, young farmer Aragon is out hunting with his uncle and cousin when he finds a weird-looking stone. He soon realizes it isn't a stone, but a dragon egg. The next night, a dragon head dragon hatches from it. He names the dragon Sephira after a name he heard the village storyteller Brahm say once. Over the next few weeks, he tries to raise the dragon in secret until it grows so large it can no longer stay in the house. Aragon confines in Brahm, who lets him stay in the ice caves. During the journey from the house to the caves, Aragon and Sephira are spotted by two evil Razak, who serve the evil and ruthless king Gabatorix. They follow them, but Aragon and Sephira lose them in the forest. The two Razak go back to the village looking for answers. When they find out the young man's uncle and who the young man's uncle and cousin are, he kills them and burns their house down when they won't say where he went. The Razak report to the king that there is a dragon. When Aragon learns that the Razak burned his village down and killed his uncle and cousin, he, Sephira, and Brahm decide to kill the Razak. Brahm even gives Aragon his sword. We learn from Brahm that the king got his power from killing all of the other dragons and dragon riders in the kingdom, leaving only himself and his dragon, uh, who he had summoned by magic because he could not form a natural bond with any of the dragons. Brom teaches Aragon how to fight, use magic, speak elvish, and the ways of the dragon riders. They attack the Razak village, but Aragon is captured and placed in a cell with the elf Arya, who we learn accidentally sent the dragon egg to Aragon. She meant to send it to a group called the Varden, who are rebels trying to fight the king. Brom and Sephira rescue Aragon and Arya. Brom reveals to Aragon he was once a dragon rider, and his dragon was also named Sephira. The Varden are angry that the dragon has bonded with some random boy and not one of them, but they know this boy is their last hope. Aragon and Sephira's profile becomes too high, and King Galbatorix knows they have to die if people are going to respect him. King Galbatorix tells his servants to ready his dragon, Ghidorah, because the rule I have, 
use is use a kaiju in my movie, which you know has already been hinted at. Uh, the movie ends with a battle between Aragon riding the small dragon Sephira and King Galbatorix on the massive Ghidorah. Sephira eventually kills Ghidorah, but King Galbatorix lives to be killed in a sequel, and that is my pitch. I wanted to kind of stick to what the book was, but include uh, Kaiju in it naturally, so I kind of just, you know, subbed out the King's Dragons and replaced it with, like, the one kind of Kaiju. And I changed up a few things from the book to make it more of, like, one story and kind of fit a movie instead of a book, but that's my pitch. All right, I I gotta say I'm excited for both of these. I love the big kaiju's. Um, uh, I I tweeted out the other day that the four monsters that I want to see in the uh, Godzilla verse were Gigan and Gyrus, King Caesar from uh, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla as like a teammate of Godzilla, um, and my one of my favorites of Violante. Um, but that being said, Ghidorah is definitely the best. We've just already seen him before. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm a little torn on these because I'm excited for both. Uh, Tristan, you got any questions for him? I will say I'm not as torn as you seem to be. I'm definitely leaning. Uh, I'm not making the final call on this one. So I'll say early that I'm leaning a bit towards Bobby. I think it just sounds like a bit more of like a fun, ridiculous, good time. So my question for Joe is like the biggest complaint about a lot of these kaiju movies recently is that there's so much plot and there's so much human drama and then there's not enough of the of the action of the kaijus so i just want to i was questioning like why do you have like so much of this plot i think i think and more than the argument i want to hear you defend why yours is better than bobby just making his a big action cool like nothing not 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 having the plot they're just having like a big action fun godzilla action style movie so i just want to hear why your version is different than his and better well i can start by saying basically the you know, the rule is feature a kaiju, not take over your entire movie with a kaiju fight. And my movie is Aragon with a kaiju in it where I feel like Johnny or Bobby just ripped the plot of Aragon, threw it away, and basically took bare minimum of, of it, if anything, and then just made it a kaiju fight movie. Where my movie, if you're an Aragon fan, you'll like my movie. If you're a kaiju fan, you'll like my movie where Johnny or Bobby's, fuck, Bobby's, if you... If you're going in to see Aragon, you're going to come out massively disappointed unless you also happen to be a big kaiju fan and just accept the fact that you are never going to get an Aragon movie. Where my movie, it's like, okay, they put a kaiju in there for some reason, but it worked, and I like the idea of, like, a David vs. Goliath story of this small dragon versus, like, this big, massive, like, King of the Dragons kind of thing as opposed to just a movie that's not even really Aragon at all except for, I guess, the main characters happens to be in Bobby's movie. Yeah, I'll I'll say this because I'm I'm torn for these reasons, but I'll show my cards like Tristan did. I'm leaning towards Joe because I'm going to see a movie called Aragon. And if I'm someone who's going to see Aragon, I don't need Godzilla Monster Island with a character I don't give a shit about being the lead. Um, and then everything else is yes, you get the big fights and you get characters that I like, like I love Angiris and, and Gigan, but why am I going to see those characters in a movie that's just titled Aragon? Joe did a better movie that is actually featured on Aragon and had a good kaiju fight at the end. So I lean towards that as far as a reboot of this specific movie. Um, 
Joe, I understand your movie. I also like that, like, the reason that Kong Skull Island and all these movies are successful is because they have a good director and a good cast. And Joe has a very good cast. Bobby only cast two people. And, yes, I love both of them, but he only cast two two people. So it's very different than what we've been getting. Um, Bobby, my question is, why did you just go for something so different and something so different than Aragon? Like, if I'm going to see an Aragon reboot, why am I seeing the Godzilla movie I want with characters that I don't want. Like, I feel like you just took yeah. the best of like the, the best of one world, shoved it into your movie and forgot all about Aragon. So basically the, the whole point is I think Aragon, when you read the story, when, when taken at least too seriously, I don't think it, it plays out too well and works out. And it's basically like, it's, it's kind of star Wars too. Like it's, it's very, very derivative of other things. And I'd rather see a story that sets up that beginning to where you have the chosen one storyline. But his goal now is, whoa, something is something invaded our our land, our town, and I need to go protect it um, and set up him as a character. Because the whole beginning, you get the kind of bonding and, and kind of growing as a character and, and you kind of grow the attachment to Aragon as a person. And that's why he's kind of the chosen one to protect his land. And I'd rather focus on, on that as like, taking out a threat and being the protector of a of this and kind of throwing in the whole convoluted plot of Aragon because I find it a little too um it's it's a little bit like what if you if you had tried to take the Kong uh Godzilla versus Kong plot seriously like they they it doesn't it it's very I don't think it works extremely well so I wanted to take the characters and make and show the bond between them because I think that's kind of it's kind of like uh Venom where you, the best part of the movie is the d- dynamic between you know Tom Hardy's uh, Eddie Brock and Venom, and the rest of it was kind of just a convoluted mess. I want to get the characters and get them right so that you at least establish Aragon and Safira correct and get their bond and their everything that you care about, and then put them in situations that are one fun and crazy and f- to watch, but also you care that they both make it out of it alive. So I'd rather have you do that than kind of retell a story that we've seen a lot with the whole chosen one and then also as far as featuring a kaiju it is just i mean all of a sudden there's a very recognizable creature that everyone knows as Ghidorah from the godzilla franchise it 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 doesn't really fit in i don't think to the rest of the movie it just sets up a fun battle at the end and that's it it's a world with dragons mine has a massive fucking dragon but you know but you know i will say this Ghidorah is not a dragon he's an alien well, he's, right. He's an alien life form that is. Yeah. The king but of, but of it, when it, when it, when you have something that's not set up as it's in this world and it comes at the very end of the movie and it's from another franchise, I feel like that kind of throws it off a little bit as far as the tone and what you're going for with an Aragon straight up movie. Then where if you're going to feature a kaiju in an Aragon movie, I'd rather see it in a world that establishes that these kaiju exist and and they are a threat to everyone. Well, maybe the um, alien world that, that he comes you know. from is Aragon's world. But my thing against mine being convoluted is I don't feel it's convoluted. It's this farm boy finds an egg. The egg hatches a dragon. The dragon gets too big for the house. He moves. They get spotted. They get, you know, found out. And then they get imprisoned. And in the prison, they meet a member of this group. She takes them to the group. And they kind of be like, hey, you need to help us fight the king. He fights the king. So, but then, so your director then, you have Guillermo del Toro doing this. And when he does 
kind of the big action like stuff we've seen it with pacific rim where he kind of plays it as a dumb fun movie and the worst parts of that movie are the things that he does try to take seriously other than like idris elba's speech is like that's like the thing everyone knows mm -hmm. from that but the characters are not that great and then when he when guillermo del toro does really really well and it's not as big and ridiculous it's like these strong character movies with like creepy elements or and things like that like I don't know exactly what tone you're going for with Guillermo del Toro as the director, because if it's more in Pacific Rim, that's more suited to my type of movie rather than yours. And I don't know if the creepy, serious tone fits with a big monster fight. Well, I mean, you can have, I mean, just because he kind of like has didn't balance it once before doesn't mean he can't balance it. Like, I want like that more kind of creepy tone with like the Razak or like these weird, <laughs> creepy, you know, kind of uh, henchman type characters to like chase my hero and go after my hero and i feel like especially because it's not like it's dragons versus dragons it's not like robots versus like monsters i feel like with when it's like kind of one versus one it can be more of a toned down tone and it's not like all these because i think if you have big giant robots it's hard to do big giant robots seriously or like in a grounded kind of creepy tone but i feel like dragons is easier to do in a more kind of creepy kind of Guillermo del Toro tone than just like giant robots because it's like no one's going to take like giant robots seriously you kind of have to do it kind of campy and over the top yeah I'll see Tristan do you have your mind made up yeah I have my mind made up on you I'm, I'm feeling uh, one way for sure alright I'm interested to hear what, what Tristan has to say and then I, I, I Bobby did a good job selling me on his movie um, so I'm a little more I'm definitely closer than I was, but I mean, I was torn originally and, you know, I was leaning towards Joe. Bobby defended his well, but I'm interested to see what Tristan has to say. I think Joe pretty much did a good thing. Like we mentioned it after I made my comments earlier and it was pretty much Joe's big defense the whole time is he made Aragon with a kaiju in it. He didn't make a kaiju movie with like the dragon from Aragon crossing over, you know, and I think Bobby's initial pitch really sold me because it sounded just like a really fun, good time. Like the last Godzilla King of Monsters, the one before this one, where it was just like, oh, here's like all the cool monsters and for like a couple scenes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is cool. And then I think Joe came in and, and gave me this, this thing that reminded me of like the sci fi stuff from Godzilla vs. Kong, where I was like, okay, I don't care about all this plot. Just give me the monsters. But the more he talked about his defense, I'm leaning towards Joe now. I think he won me over in the fact that. He made an actual Aragon movie and didn't just totally throw out the entire plot to make his own kaiju movie. Yeah, I in the end, like, if you put these two movies up, and I saw the trailers for both, the movie that I'm more interested in is Bobby's. It has kaiju fights, it has Godzilla, it has all the characters that I want to see, but that's not the only part of this. It, it, you know, it, it's a reboot of Aragon, and Bobby's in no world ever is a reboot of Aragon. It's just like, hey, we'll slap this title on and then make the sequel to Godzilla vs. Kong. Excuse me. Joe, Joe made, um, I think, as good of a job as you could have done making a reboot to Aragon with the actual plot. You chose a good director because Joe made a good point of just because we haven't seen him do like a hybrid of Pan's Labyrinth and Pacific Rim doesn't mean he can't because he did both of those movies so well. So I'd like to see the the mix um, of both of those. I think that would be a super interesting version, like thing for Guillermo del Toro to do next. So I, in the end, I, I was more sold on Joe's as 
specifically a reboot of Aragon. Bobby's is the movie I'd rather see because it does a lot of big monster fights, but Joe's is, is a real reboot of Aragon and wasn't just, we'll take a couple characters and then make a Godzilla movie. Joe's was, we'll have a kaiju in it, which is the rule, but then actually make the movie that I'm supposed to make. So, Joe, because you sold me on a movie that I normally wouldn't care about, I would still see it, um, you know, and you stuck more to the plot and characters that I'd be interested in and you kind of did do the thing of like Kong Skull Island of we're going to just put a great cast in, even if I don't care as much about the plot. Um, but I would because Guillermo del Toro sells you on that. So I'm going to go with Joe on this one. Uh, Bobby did a good job defending his, but I think Bobby just strayed too far away from the actual story of Aragon and just had too much going on. I don't need to see all of those monsters in one movie um, at once. Uh, you know, I, I want to see... A, I'd love a Monster Island movie one day um, that has absolutely no human characters and no dialogue and it's only kaiju fighting. But Bobby kind of just did that, but then made it I just made a movie. movie. I made a movie. He just made a movie he wanted. Yeah, and I understand oh, yeah. that as someone yeah. who doesn't care about a lot of these fantasy movies, like it made yeah, sense to me. But my thought process. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 like, and I get it. But Joe did a good job of actually yeah. making a movie I'd be no, interested in. He, and he made he made Aragon. I just hope this yeah. rolling doesn't hurt me later Same. for something else I did. But yeah, I'd um... be dropping like thirty dollars <laughs> on Bobby's movie to go see it. And but my next honestly, right now, and yeah. my, my next point against Bobby's is basically like, if you're trying to turn this into a franchise, where do you go from? He beats all of the kaiju. Like, what, Except what the... for Godzilla. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah exactly. he just beat no, 40 guys. Joe sets his up. Yours, yours, yeah. Joe's like expands the world of Godzilla yeah. and Aragon, and Bobby's is like, Aragon's in the world of Godzilla, kind of. <laughs> you shouldn't yeah. really care. Aragon and the dragon kill everyone. Well, yeah. Okay, right, well, so that leads it to 2 1 Joe. Bobby, what are we doing next? Um, Let's go to Power Rangers. Uh, all right, Joe confident in his choice, apparently. Um, all right, so Power Rangers, which is interesting because Who I believe first? this is the one Tristan and I chose together. Bobby, who goes first? You uh, go I'll first. go first, sorry. Okay. All right, so um, as it's kind of called, Saban's Power Rangers uh, came out in 2017. It got a 50% of Rotten Tomatoes. The director was De uh, Dean Israelite. Um it is about five ordinary teens. Uh, it must become something extraordinary when they learn that their small town of Angel Grove and the world is on the verge of being obliterated by an alien threat. Chosen by destiny, our heroes quickly discover they are the only ones who can save the planet. But to do so, uh, they will have to overcome their real-life issues and before it's too late, band together as the Power Rangers. Um, so that is Power Rangers. Bobby, uh, you are going first. What do you have for us? Um, so I'll start with my director. I chose uh, Janice Bravo, who is who worked a lot on Atlanta, and she directed the upcoming movie that's been at festivals, uh, Zola, which is based on that tweet thread, um, which is like it's a dramedy kind of deal. But she works in comedy pretty heavily and can work drama in. Um, and she it just seems like a up and coming good director that they could throw into a franchise. Um, my it's basically to start mine is based on power rangers time force because my rule is that it must include time travel given to me from tristan and i think i'd like to see a different group uh for the power rangers instead of kind of the classics so my my lead of the movie uh, is the pink ranger jen scott's played by Haley steinfeld um my red rangers slash his ancestor which i'll get into that is uh named Wes collins he's gonna be played by dylan minette um he's he's the son in prisoners and he's in 13 reasons why 
Um, my Green Ranger, Trip Regis, being played by Harry Shum Jr. from Crazy Rich Asians. Um, Glee, Shadowhunters, he's been a lot of stuff. Uh, Katie Walker, my Yellow Ranger, is going to be played by Letitia Wright, who everyone knows from the Marvel movies. Um, my Blue Ranger, Lucas Kendall, is going to be played by Tiger Shroff, who is a Bollywood actor. Um, and he's an action star in Bollywood and does his own stunts. Um, and then my villain, Rancic, is going to be played by Benicio Del Toro. I'd like to see him pull off a, a cool villain role in a, in a, in a movie like this. Uh, so the, my movie starts in the year 3000, where the Rangers, uh, also called the Time Force, deal with crime, the crimes of mutants. One of the most dangerous is Rancic. He was arrested and sentenced to life for his crimes, including murder, at the, murder and a plan uh, to travel back in time and take over the world in different eras, where his power would be unmatched. He escapes, and he kills the Red Ranger, Alex, who is also Jen, the Pink Ranger's fiance. Um, the movie then follows the Rangers following Rancic through different eras. Starting the, To start, they come back to kind of our time now to pick up um, Wes Collins, who is the ancestor of the Red, Red Ranger who was killed, so that he could use his chronomorpher so that they could all um, use... They, they could have a full group and use their... Yes, that is Rancic. That is uh, the villain. Had to show everyone. Yeah. But they pick up the basically the ancestor of the Red Rangers. They have someone that they're teaching along the way, so you get a little bit more of a dynamic there, um, which is the plot in the TV show. But they need a full team in order to take out Rancic and use their, their Megazords and all that. Um, so they follow him through time. So you basically get, uh, you get them going through different eras. So you get them back in, like, Old West. You get them in... Um, like some more modern times you get that like any any time period they, they go through like maybe five different eras throughout the movie that they're following rancic to um and uh let me get back to my thing here so they follow and they collect the red rangers more for so they, the the final battle after he collects all of so he collects everything that he was looking for which are the different chronomorphers which would able to um uh yeah, okay, so he's collecting the Quantum Ranger Morphers since they were hidden in different time periods. That's why he's going through different time periods, and that's why they are following him. They, the final battle is after he collects them all and transforms into a Megazord creature he, he was able to, do, to uh, create using the different Chronomorphers. So this leads to a Megazord fight at the end, as a good old Power Rangers fashion. Um, they fight in the time of the dinosaurs. That is where this one starts. Um, so you have a dinosaur era <laughs> with Megazords fighting at the end of the movie. Um, uh, during the battle, Rancic tries to escape back to the year 3000. The ranger is able to follow them, so it moves from dinosaurs back into the year 3000, from, from dinosaurs to the future in the final battle. Um, the rangers are able to defeat him in the future and arrest him back, so that sets them up back in their era at the end of the movie with Rancic defeated, um, and they have a new red ranger and a full team to kind of set them up on more adventures. All right, interesting. Joe? I don't even remember what rule I chose for you, so I'm interested to hear. All right. Our pitches are not totally dissimilar. Uh, so my director is uh, Chris McKay, who is directed the Lego Batman movie. And my rule that I was given was I have to cross this over with another franchise. And so I decided to make this Lego, but that wasn't the only thing I did because I wasn't sure if Lego was totally a franchise. But So my, hot -he my hot-headed Red Ranger... It's going to be voiced by John Boyega. My sad and, whoops, my sad and depressed uh, Blue Ranger is going to be voiced by Forrest Wheeler from Fresh Off the Boat. 
my dark and kind of standoffish Black Ranger is going to be voiced by Haley Steinfeld. My kind of like, you know, feminist kind of women can do anything men can do. Pink Ranger is going to be voiced by Anna Kendrick. My cowardly Yellow Ranger is going to be voiced by Justice Smith, who is in Detective Pikachu, and he was also in uh, Jurassic the Jurassic World. My Zordon going to be voiced by Jeff Bridges. And then my Lord Zed and Rita Repulsa, who were um, eventually become married in the original series. And so I kind of wanted to go with a real-life married couple. My Nick Offerman is the voice of Lord Zed. And Megan Mullally is the voice of Rita Repulsa. So Power Rangers is super campy and ridic ridiculous. And I think mm -hmm. by trying to make it serious, you're not really honoring and respecting what Power Rangers is. And so I think by crossing it over with the Lego franchise, you can still be fun and campy, but you're in a medium that can still like be a quality movie. Uh, the Lego movie and Lego Batman movies had crossovers with other franchises and were pretty successful. The Lego Ninjago movie, it was kind of a box office bomb for Lego, did not have any crossovers. And so people clearly want crossovers in their Lego movies, and then that's what I decided to do. And since Universal has the film rights to Lego now, I thought Power Rangers would be a good launching point for Universal Lego movies going forward. So, the movie opens with a new Rangers team fighting Goldar. However, they aren't working together. Everyone is trying to do their own thing. They are all still in their they are all in their Zords. However, Goldar smashes one of them before they can form the Megazord. They lose the fight but survive to fight another day. Zordon is angry and says that they need to learn to work together before they lose everything. Meanwhile, we see Goldar report back to Lord Zed and Rita Repulsa, who are basically an evil parody of a sitcom couple. Lord Zed and Rita realize it's time to strike and head towards Earth. Zordon teleports the, uh, the rangers across dimensions to learn to work together. First, they land inside an old castle. They are without suits, their zords, or powers. Zordon tells the Red Ranger that because he is the Red Ranger, it is his responsibility to lead the team. He says they must escape the castle by sunrise. The castle is a maze. You take the wrong turn, you could meet Dracula, the Wolfman, Frankenstein, or even the creature from the Black Lagoon. Since it's Lego, they will be more comedic interpretations of the characters, but still evil and intimidating. I'm thinking more towards like what Joker was in Lego Batman and not exactly like Hotel Transylvania. Uh, the team can't even agree on which way to go or where they've been, and they slowly end up splitting up and facing the various classic Universal monsters, all voiced by the actors who are supposed to play them in the failed Dark Universe. The group meets back up at the exit and realizes that it's better to face their enemies together than alone. They walk through the door and find themselves on an island in the middle of the day. The rangers also now have their suits and quickly learn it's an island populated by dinosaurs. It's Jurassic Park. The rangers must learn to work together to fight off the T-Rex along with the Velociraptors. They start working as a team with coordinated attacks. When they are safe and on a helicopter leaving the island, they are immediately whisked off to the streets of Los Angeles. They think they are back at home until a bunch of cars race by at top speeds. They summon their zords and chase after them. The cars stop in a small suburb and outstep the Fast and the Furious crew. They talk with the Power Rangers about how you have to be more than a team, you have to be a family. They then race their cars against the zords with the rangers helping each other throughout the race. Before it ends, the rangers are pulled back to their world by Zordon. Lord Zed and Rita Repulsa, who, have occasionally, who we have occasionally been cutting back to and see bickering like an old married couple, have arrived on Earth. The rangers are winning the fight against Zed, Rita, and Goldar until Zed summons the putties, which are kind of like the Power Ranger henchmen. The Power Rangers are losing until a 1970s Dodge Charger rips through a sea of putties. The Fast and the Furious crew have shown up to help. 
the Rangers win and defeat Rita and Lord Zed and have finally become not only a team, but a family, and that's my pitch. All right, I love that pitch. Um, I'm not going to lie. So, Tristan, you have any questions for these two? Yeah, I mean, I really loved that last one. I, Bobby's first pitch, I was like, wow, really good pitch. I, mean, I, I liked it a lot. And then Joe's came out, and I was like, wow, another really good pitch, a fun one. I can't wait to hear these two argue about it. I know it's the one we are deciding together, so I don't want to show my hand too, too much. But I am mostly 50-50 right now. I think either one could pull me in their in their corner by the end of it. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I really love Joe's, but Bobby definitely had a strong one as well. So um, as far as questions go, um, Bobby, Joe has the theme of, like, the Power Rangers needing to come together and be a family, which I think fits perfectly for, like, a Lego-verse type of movie. Mm-hmm. What would be, like, the, the theme that you're kind of centering around for your Power Rangers movie? Um, so it would be more of a... Uh... You know, in a Power Ranger, Ranger kind of way, you have the um, lead character kind of going through grief of, you know, her fiancé and that whole thing, and but then try, having to kind of push past and, like, teach this new person. So it's it's more of, um, like, she's she's struggling with it, and there's some conversations, but you that's, like, maybe the, the heart of the movie is her character and um, being able to get through that. Uh, but it's more of a... Like the team, it's a, it's, it does, it's not a Lego movie, so it doesn't need like a, it has a lesson. Like this is the lesson of the movie, but it's a fun team that are uh, trying to, um, re, you know, teach this, this new guy well. So navigating the different eras, and it's more of a fun adventure movie from that point with a heart in the center of it. Okay. Um, my, my only other question, and Bobby can just kind of start your, fight with this because i'm sure this is something joe wants to get into but just in case because i need it addressed i had one question for joe too before um, we get started all right cool then I'll, I'll just ask you this bobby why um why this director i get like marvel just throws directors in that have so you know done things before, yeah but zola does not look i don't watch the trailer for zola and think yeah power. so she's a so what she is she's a um She's a really good writer, which is what I want for this. She's worked on a lot of um, – she worked on Atlanta a lot, a lot of comedy TV shows, and a lot of things that – in a lot of her work, she's known for her characters, um, and that's kind of one of the more important things in it. You can you can do big – you like, like Marvel has shown, as long as you have it storyboarded out and all that, the action and everything will fall into place pretty well, and I want her to be able to have comedy and – uh, realistic like fun characters to follow through these different eras so it's more of what someone that i could think that could make this jump and make me want to watch this movie where it's not just noise um where it's not just the action i kind of want to like like the characters and laugh along the way um and i think she's shown that in her movies and also her well anything she's written too okay and tristan has one question for joe that we'll get into our fight yeah, Joe, I just want to get your thoughts on, because my initial hesitation towards yours was, oh, I don't really want to see, like, a Lego animated Power Ranger movie. I want to see, like, a cool live-action, like, MCU-level kind of Power Ranger movie. So I want to get your defense on why did you make this a Lego crossover and not just have it be, like, Power Ranger crossing over with some other franchise and is still being in the tone of the world of Power Ranger the whole time? Uh, like, originally, that was my thought, was I was just going to do the Power Rangers it was kind of going to be the same thing, uh, but they somehow get the Power Rangers have a fight that they have to go to Jurassic Park, and that was going to be my pitch. But I feel like 
Power Rangers is inherently very campy. Like they've tr- they did a more less they did a less campy version in the 2017 version, and there was like a fan film where with like Katie Sackhoff and like James Vanderbeek that was like more serious and set in the future. But it wasn't like Power Rangers. They basically like told their own story and set the Power Rangers thing in it. Where I um I, I just think the Power Rangers need to be inherently campy. And I think Lego, especially with, like, the Lego Batman movie, which parodied and kind of took a lot from the 66 TV series, allows you to do that without being just ridiculous and dumb. It basically allows you to be campy without being dumb. I like that. Uh, That was my last question for you. So if you guys are ready to go, I'm ready to hear you guys fight it out. Yeah, I'll I'll start with... Just as far as my hesitation towards a Lego version of Power Rangers is, Power Rangers, it it really is a um, it's a product of its time as far as its fan base start starts and stops really in in the '90s. Um, and what the problem with that with Lego is that I think Lego what Lego does best is takes established franchises that people know well and play off them um, and make fun of them, parody those. Um, as as the leads like like Lego Batman, uh, and when it's something like Nin, Ninjago, which again is generational but to a much younger audience, um, that one didn't work nearly as well. Uh, so I, I'm just I would rather see them do a good Power Rangers movie and have a franchise first for the for them to be able to play off of and have more jokes to make fun of, where otherwise it's just kind of a it's a team of of people, but you can't play into the Lego ness, the humor that that is in a lot of the Lego movies that are very self-referential um and very parody like uh and if it doesn't do that and it's with your lead group then it to me plays out more like the straight to dvd um stories of the legos that they put a ton out there of and they're more just like fun kids shows but they're they don't go into the the self-referential kind of aspects that that would be my my worry for that but my thing is like i feel like power rangers is pretty popular and you can kind of play into like the 90s camp of it because my whole thing is they're a new team this isn't like all the team from the television show they're a new team and this is kind of they're early in their mission so you can kind of play off the fact of like they're from the 90s and you can have references to that but also in my movie you have like the universal monsters that you can make references to you have the jurassic park which you can make references to you have fast and the furious which you can make references to like there's even if maybe certain people won't get all of the Power Rangers references, there's other franchises in, with the worlds they go to that I think people will find interesting. And my thing against yours is it's like, number one, I don't really know where all you're going. You said they went to like the 3,000 years in the future and you went, they went to see the dinosaurs. But mine, they fight dinosaurs too, but it's on Jurassic Park, which I feel like is automatically people are more interested in and more hyped about than just like blindly fighting dinosaurs from just dinosaur yeah times. i mean i i so basically they have yeah there's the future there's more of a modern time there's the dinosaurs there's the old west uh and then you could throw in any other like era as, as you would want if you want them to like take out the yeah. the queen's castle and like type of stuff and have a fight a bunch of again you know there but um and knights you can like whatever you want to throw them but into would you it. rather I said, like, see the power five, rangers so, fight but, random but knights is, or you know, the well, they're, not, they're in that air in but, a castle. So what I, what I would say is with yours, I would rather see any of the other franchises that you have in your movie as the lead and the focus rather than the power Rangers. Personally. I mean, I would rather see a Jurassic park Lego movie or, or, a, or, a um, or just a Lego movie with 
um, a character that's not a franchise that is visiting all these other franchises, not a franchise visiting a franchise, but a franchise. Like, I, I, I don't think that works as well. And as far as mine goes, I think if you want to be able to do a Power Rangers live action well, you do need to have enough of the outrageousness in there, and that's where the time travel comes into play. Um, and also not having the association for, like, people will go see a Power Rangers movie, but the, the, the fans of, of it may not be, you don't have to try to make the characters, you know, Jason and all the originals fit what people expect. And like, oh, they wanted, I want them to do the Green Ranger saga. It gives them freedom to do a little bit more with the story to where instead of, uh, oh, well, we need her to, them to fight Rita Repulsa in the first one and have Goldar or whatever, and then we need the Green Ranger saga and do all this stuff. You have a freedom to be like, we have these characters that, that you like, and it's the Power Rangers team, and you can do whatever they want. They can go to any era in time. They can have any bad guy and villain in history that they can go up against, as well as Power Rangers villains. I think mine sets up a franchise that would work for the Power Rangers, um, as well as one Haley Steinfeld in live action being a really great lead, making the lead the Pink Ranger. Um, I think is a really good thing to do and now and give the focus to them. Uh, I also have someone from like a Bollywood representation who's an awesome action star and he can do all his own stunts and have a lot of fun fight scenes. So I think mine just one establishes a franchise that you can actually move forward with where yours will probably run out of steam because who like as far as Lego, Lego has already run out of steam a lot of the time. Their, their box office dipped, dipped and dipped. The quality has gone down with like the Ninjago movie and Lego movie two. So you'd have to recapture the magic of the first two that worked really well, which were the Lego movie and Lego Batman. Everything after that point started to go downhill quite a bit. So you're trying to recapture magic that they haven't done in quite a while with a franchise that I don't think is the right fit. Uh, see, I do think it's the right fit because a lot of the points you're making about yours, it's like, oh, with yours, because they time travel, they can fight any villain at any time in history. With Lego, you can do the same thing. And now with Lego switching to uh it was at warner brothers and now it's at universal you have a whole different team of people who could be excited about doing a lego movie so it doesn't really matter if the quality's dip because it's not gonna i mean i have the director of lego batman which succeeded but you still have you know a company behind it that's new and fresh and ha can have their own new fresh ideas of what to do with lego so what warner brothers did with it doesn't really matter yeah i'll say this um we definitely need to keep this show going because we got 15 minutes until we're at two hours and this is like our yeah. fourth movie so i i think i yeah. have my decision my, made up my, my, yeah my last point of that is just it just seems like the lego gimmick runs out of steam quickly even if certain people may end up liking the movies and i think the power rangers franchise is one that would run out of steam pretty quickly with it i just Counterpoint: Power Rangers has never had any steam as a movie franchise. No. That's why um, I don't so... think it's a good choice. <laughs> no, I, I mean, my I, yeah, I got my mind made up. <laughs> All right, Tristan, we're doing this together, but let's hear let's hear what you have to say first, and hopefully, I agree with you. Make it easy. I enjoyed Bobby's pitch. I feel like as a kid who watched Power Rangers a lot, I would get a lot of like nostalgia out of seeing these characters in live action and doing all this cool stuff. So I think that'd be something that I'd have a lot of fun watching but i do ultimately lean towards show on this decision i think he just sounds like a perfect lego movie for me i think uh it sounds like exactly what i would like out of these lego movies like something like like lego batman just do these like one-off oh here's lego power rangers and next next year do oh here's lego jurassic park and then make it that kind of like almost like an anthology franchise so i really like joe's direction for that with lego 
So I'm going with Joe on this. Yeah, I'll say this. I think Bobby made some good arguments as to why Power Rangers isn't like a strong franchise or anything, but I think all of the arguments Bobby made hurt his movie Mm -hmm. more so than hurting Joe's movie because Joe made a Lego movie that's a popular franchise. Yes, and maybe it's been losing steam, but Joe's bringing back like the director of Lego Batman, which, is, which he, as he said, was a success. He's bringing in franchises that are popular and universal that we have not really seen um, in the Lego movies. And I think Joe did such a good creative job of really nailing all of the, the, the characters. Like, okay, this is the Brave Ranger. This is the Women's Power Ranger. This is the, um, you know, the, the Scared One is the Yellow Ranger. Like, Joe did a very good job of capturing his franchise of the Lego movie. When I made this rule choice for him, I never envisioned this being a Lego movie, and he sold me on it. And Bobby talking about how Power Rangers is not popular just hurt his live-action version because it sounds like a huge budget, and it just sounds like like one of the most mass... Like, it sounds like a franchise-killing movie because it sounds like it would be a huge budget, and even if people like it, it would... As Bobby said, Power Rangers is not super popular with a lot of people nowadays. It sounds like it would just flop. And if you're doing all this time travel and everything, it would be an insane budget and just not make any money. So, you know, uh, yeah, would I see Bobby's movie? Maybe, but I never even saw the new Power Rangers movie, and I thought it looked fine. Um, Bobby's could have never wasted a team of my Power Rangers time. travel back in time and fight dinosaurs, and I think adding a bunch of time travel and making it huge and kind of yeah. in franchise level was it really hurt it. Yeah, I, th- I think Bobby made his too big, and Joe made his a good, like starting level of a new type of Power Rangers franchise, and um, and and I think Joe takes the point for that. So I go Joe, and that makes it three one, I believe. So Bobby needs to go on a rally yeah. here. To, yeah, yeah, this will be interesting for sure. Um, let's do uh, Gem and the Holograms. I'll let Joe go first. Oh God. <laughs> This is going to be an interesting fight. <laughs> I will say that. Um, so, Gem and the Holograms. People probably don't know. This was a cartoon show that no one knew about. Um, and uh, it came out in 2015. Um, it got a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. The director is John M. Chu, famous for Justin Bieber, Never Say Never Again. Um, and then, uh, so this is what it's about. Yeah, definitely what he's famous for. <laughs> yeah, that's what he's done. Um, teenager Jerrica, which is a name, uh, played by Aubrey Peoples, uh, is an extremely shy and talent, uh, but talented singer songwriter whose dreams of stardom come true when she forms the group Gem and the Holograms. Other members include her younger sister, Kimber. God, there are some brutal names in this. Um, by, played by Stephanie Scott on keyboards, drummer. Shayna, played by Aurora Perino, and bassist Aja, played by Haley Kiyoko. Um, with help from Rio, played by Ryan Guzman, the son of the CEO, Juliet Lewis, of Starlight Music. The four young band members find their own voice while taking the world by storm. Isn't Meryl Streep in this movie? No, that's uh, no, a different that's, movie. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking the whole time that, that like no. Meryl Streep was in this. She got nominated for... No, she doesn't sink this low. No, it, it was a different shitty no. song movie. You're, that... you're mixing up two Using Into the Woods, things. also no. great. No, no. Not Into the Woods, it's the other no. song one she did. The one that, that she learned awful. how to play guitar for. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. All right. She was awesome in Prime on Netflix. Check out. We got it. We got it. All right. So we'll get going. So uh, Bobby, who's going first? I'm going first. Joe. Joe is. Joe. All right. Let's hear it. All right. Ricky and the Flash. By the way. Yep. Yes. That that is what I was thinking of the whole time. So my director is Rob Zombie because that's the rule I had to use is I had to make this a Rob Zombie movie. And keep that in mind. Oh, I had to make this a Rob Zombie movie. I didn't have to make a Gem in the Holograms movie directed by Rob Zombie. So my Jerrica Benton is going to be played by Taylor Momsen. Uh, she was Cindy Lou Who in How the Grinch Stole Christmas. She also had a role in Gossip Girl. But she's currently the uh, lead singer of the rock band The Pretty Reckless. My Kimber Benton is Abigail Breslin. My Aja Leaf is played by Brenda Song. And then my Shayna Elmsford is played by Olivia Olsen, who was the girl that Liam Neeson's uh, son had a crush on. And she's also a voice in Adventure Time. My villain, Eric Raymond, is played by Nicolas Cage. And then the character of Zombie, of course, or the character of Synergy is, of course, played by Sherry Moon Zombie because I had to put her in this movie somewhere. Otherwise, it's not a Rob Zombie movie. Uh, of course point for that after college students jerica and kimber's dad dies their father's business partner eric raymond tries to take over the music label he and their father started starlight music and turn it from a rock label to a pop label jerica and kimber find four sets of earrings that were a gift from their father they and their friends put it on and immediately become possessed by the demon music demon of music synergy while wearing the earrings, their looks and personalities completely transform. Their clothes become dirty and tattered, their faces become painted white, and they become crazy and deranged. When they find out that Eric is making a battle of the bands with various bands in the area, with the winner being signed to Starlight, and that Eric has rigged it for his curated pop girl group to win, they decide to crash the audition under the name Gem. Because I'm ditching, because the show was named Gem, the movie was Gem and the Holograms, I'm just keeping my movie title as Gem. Uh, Eric is so terrified and scared of Jem that he allows them to enter. Uh, Jerrica later talks to him about Jem and they make a wager. If Jem wins Battle of the Bands, he has to give up his ownership of the company. If any other band wins, then Jerrica and Kimber will give up their ownership. The girls show up to a dive bar for a gig and perform. After the gig, the girls take off their earrings and they talk about how exhilarating it is, but how terrified they are of their personas. Jerrica shows up to the label's office and sees Erica ye Eric yelling at and sexually harassing the girl group he is rigging the battle of the bands for. That night, she puts on the earrings and shows up to his house to confront him, and if he ever abuses anyone again, she and the rest of the band will show up next time. Jen's, Jem ends up winning the battle of the bands, and Eric gives up control of the company after being surrounded by Jem. Jerrica talks to the band Eric created and discovers their true passion is rock music and signs them as a rock band as well, and that's my pitch. All right, so Jeremy to Rob Zombie, uh, Jen the Holograms, Eric okay, just Jen. I I picked this rule, Joe, because Rob Zombie has directed music videos and has helped direct his own videos and can show that he can do music on screen. And also because this movie's gonna suck no matter what, and so is a Rob Zombie movie. So I feel like you yeah. did a good job. Uh, doing that pitch. So, Bobby, I'm interested to see what uh, what you got going up against Joe's. Hey, according to Dave Morales from Fox TV, Jim and the Holograms is inspirational, entertaining, a total jam session. It's right there on the back of the and, it, and two stars. <laughs> um, they left that part out. So, yeah. <laughs> Bobby, I'm interested to see what you have so, for us. 
So the rule I was given is that I must use the nominees of the 93rd Academy Awards um, for this movie. Um, so holograms deserves an Academy Award. Yeah. So my direct. We went my different directions with our rule pairings. <laughs> yeah. My my director is going to be uh, Chloe Zhao, who did Nomadland, but she's also doing a Marvel's The Eternal, so I know she can do more of a fun-styled movie uh, when given the opportunity, and that's kind of what I'm going for is her Marvel roots here. And so for my no lead... One has seen. No, but you know what Marvel gives, <laughs> so you know she can do it. Amanda, Amanda Seyfried is my lead uh, gem, Jerrica uh, Benton. Um, she is a good singer. I've seen her do it plenty of times, and I believe she could pull this off. Uh, my um, Aja is going to be played by Maria Bakalova um, from the Borat, the new Borat movie. My Andre Day, uh, or Andre Day is going to be playing Shayna, uh, and she is also a singer. So if you need anyone to do backing vocals and stuff, she can definitely do it. Uh, Carrie Mulligan is going to be Kimber, the younger sister. Um, and then as their uh, manager, I'm going to have um, uh, Viola Davis. And then. As far as I, my the plot of my movie needs another band in it, so to keep kind of casting these guys that I think could could do something, they're they're kind of rival group in this. There's going to be uh, Daniel Daniel Kaluuya is going to be their lead singer. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen is going to be their erratic drummer. Um, Leslie Odom Jr. Um, actually, sorry, Leslie Odom Jr. is the lead singer. Daniel Kaluuya is the guitarist, but kind of the leader of the band. Uh, and then Stephen Yoon um, is going to be their bassist. Um, and I think that creates a really fun kind of group for them to go up against. So my plot is that uh, Jem Benton runs Starlight Music with her sister Kimber and her foster sisters Aja and Shayna. They are also secretly the famous rock group The Holograms, using technology created by Jem's father to disguise their identities using holograms. The reason they do this um, is they also use, use these abilities to fight crime. So they are like a rock band that also is more to put them into more of a crime fighting. That's why they're hiding their identities type deal. Um, so they're using the technology along their instruments or in gem case vocals and microphone to give them special powers, like using sound waves to fly, send enemies in the air, throw powerful uh, power cord punches and et cetera to fight crime. One night during a concert, their manager frantically calls Jem informing, informing her that someone broke into her father's lab. Soon after, the band called The Stingers appear, appears, rivaling the hologram's popularity. Record companies then start getting robbed by, by a group with similar musical powers as the holograms. The Stingers are trying to steal from the record companies who have ripped off countless musicians. We get a fun action musical with that being the centering kind of plot, um, with the holograms going against the Stingers, uh, very kind of stylized action with songs being played. Like eight, It's going to be 80s songs throughout the entire thing whenever they fight. They're going to be using the music and different like licks and chords and riffs from songs as their attacks, um, so they can you kind of get music throughout. So you get a fun movie where they end up defeating the Stingers, um, but they kind of realize their their intentions of of the you know that the music producers and and companies had been ripping off a lot of bands. So they do that uh, by using their at the end they use their own record company to give musicians second chances who are victims of the music industry industry system. All right. Um, interesting. I'm going to be honest here, Joe. I'm a little <laughs> disappointed with the pitch because I literally paired Rob Zombie in this movie 
I, I gave my reasons, but mainly because I expected like a green room type movie. Yeah. And that's what I think uh, Zarab Zombie could have done really well, and you went a different direction. So it might be a tough fight for you to show my colors. Because um, I don't know if you necessarily hit either uh, Gem and the Holograms or Rob Zombie very well. Um, but my, my question um, for Bobby is. If I'm someone who doesn't give a shit about Gem and the Holograms, doesn't know what it is, what what like sells me on your movie? So the original does not have like that action crime fighting type of thing going on, at least like in the movies and that. So like um, what it's going to be is it's it's a fun musical action movie where you get action comedy. So you get um, old, you get like famous riffs, famous music thing is going on. You get um, fun action, and then you get at least a little bit of a message about the music industry and how it can spit people up and chew them out, like and it, that whole thing um, thrown in. But it's more revolved centered around a rival, one band against another band, rising popularity. Um, so the fight for that, and as well as their fight uh, trying to stop them from stealing money from these record companies, you get fun fight scenes. So it's it's more of a fun movie. Okay, Tristan, you have any questions? Yeah, I'm not going your sentiment that uh, I think Joe has an uphill battle in the next couple of minutes, so this might not be as long of an argument as the last few have been. But uh, yeah, I'm leaning that direction. I'm excited to hear you guys argue because I do think Joe, as usual, can argue his way out of the hole here and, and bring up some good points. So I'm looking forward to the arguments. I just want to hear it get going now. Yeah, we'll start with Joe. Why is your movie stronger? Defend it. Uh, one alive. thing, one thing you said, one thing you brought up was my movie wasn't Rob Zombie or Gem and the Hologram. So my thing is, my plot of my movie is I basically I watched the first like four episodes of the original animated show, and the plot of my movie is basically the plot of the first two episodes. So you can't. It's hard to say it's not Gem and the Holograms when it's literally the plot of the you know pilot and second episode, which were basically a part one and part two type deal. Uh, so it's definitely Gem and the holograms and i wanted to i I thought my movie would be interesting as kind of like these demon like women walking around and mine can be a legitimate band mine my lead singer is a legitimate rock singer outside of this movie i don't know what like the singing capabilities of bobby's you know band members are and i feel like that's one of the advantages i have as i you know i have i i'll get into that but i have some real good singers (laughs) But so mine has like legitimate rock band qualities. You know, I have Rob Zombie type music, and that's kind of what I want to go for because it's a Rob Zombie movie. And I feel like my thing against Bobby's is it's like you said, mine isn't Gemini Holograms. His has like crime fighting and music crime fighting. I just feel like his is going to be like very bland and boring, where mine is more of a risk with a kind of like evil rock band lead or as the lead of this movie and i feel like that's more of an interesting take than just like uh we're a band that has you know that fights with music i don't know how interesting or compelling that really is so to defend just really quickly the cast of everyone one amanda seyfried is a very good singer you can look her up and she sang sang a lot but also andra day is legitimately a musical artist uh and singer um and she was nominated so that works out perfectly also, Leslie Odom Jr. is a Broadway actor and is on Hamilton. He's Aaron Burr, so like he can, he's the lead singer of that other group. So you have plenty of musical talent um, as far as that aspect goes, which is one of the draws of the movie is you get fun covers of these songs. 
Um, as far as yours goes, it would have been better. Rob Zombie does not handle like plot very well in his movies. It's kind of the worst part of his like Halloween, like yeah, well, any of his remakes of the horror movies. Spelled out for him. He just has to. No, it's not. It's not that he needs to spell it out, but even just like handling it, he he does maybe the horror elements and like things well. And I don't think that yours has enough Rob Zombie, like elements that Rob Zombie could pull off in his style really well and really fit to him. And I think that really makes it just not a fit for this rule you could have used you could have gone in a completely different direction and maybe done more of what i did with godzilla versus or making basically godzilla versus kong out of aragon um and fitting it uh, you know more towards rob zombie as a director because you had to make it a rob zombie movie as you said um mine has a, quite a bit of elements of gem and the holograms but it adds something that actually would be a hook for people to go watch nowadays instead of a generic rise to fame music teen movie it adds fun action and stuff that's popular right now um it really always is like fun action movies with and then um 80 like music 80s music in there too i think that just adds a fun element a little twist on it uh and then you have really good actors that can pull it off and they can pull off uh any tone that you kind of want to like it's more of a you know comedic um, aspect as far as like uh, interactions between bandmates and all that. And I think I have a really good group that can do that. We have um, Amanda Seyfried's done a variety of comedies. You have Mia Bakalova, who is just in Borat too. Um, you know, I, I, I think, and also Sasha Baron Cohen in, in the other band. So I think I, I, as far as cast, I think mine beats yours. I think as well, far I, as I, it's hard to, entertainment like, value, it beats well. yours for sure. Like, if I put a bunch of, like, A-list awesome actors in there, it's like, well, they would never do a Rob Zombie movie. So I tried to I tried to make as good of a cast as possible that would still do a Rob Zombie movie. I have Nicolas Cage as my villain. Who doesn't want to see Nicolas Cage going fucking crazy in a Rob Zombie movie? As I have one last question for, for Joe before we end this. Because <laughs> I don't know about you, Johnny, but I haven't been swayed very much. But I do want to hey, give... Ask your question, then I have I want to give Joe one last shot here. Like, the biggest attack on you, so in this argument here between whether it was me and Johnny or Bobby all has been, this doesn't feel like it goes far enough into being a Rob Zombie movie. It doesn't feel like it's that green room level horror that I was looking for with this kind of a, a pairing. So I want to give you a second here to just defend. You complained about having to make a Rob Zombie movie and you didn't really make it a Rob Zombie movie. So I want to get your, your, your rationale for that. Uh, I mean, there are horror elements. You have, like, her, like, attack, you know, going after Eric Raymond in his house. You have them, like, performing on stage and, like, just being fucking creepy and, like, violent and freaking everyone in the, you know, everyone out. And I feel like there are those elements in there, those horror elements in there of, like, basically they're a demon-possessed band that goes around uh, performing rock music. All right, yeah, Tristan's making the final decision, but I'll but I'll I'll say this, yeah. If Joe stuck with Rob Zombie as his director, obviously he had to, and then made this closer to a green room where it's an all women band going into this uh, awful situation, and Nick Cage was a great choice. If he was the Patrick Stewart role of like the super evil main guy trying to get these people murdered, I think Joe would have won this because that's a movie that I would see. I highly recommend Wally's Wonderland to anyone who uh, uh, hasn't seen it. Just came out. It's it's fantastic. It's a Nicolas Cage. Basically, just he doesn't say a word of dialogue in the entire movie, and he fights against animatronics uh, that are trying to murder him. It's fantastic. I, I recommend it. I, I forget if it's Willie's or Wally's, but it's Willie's or Wally's Wonderland. It's amazing. 
I, I second I, that recommendation. I, I, I definitely watched that. Um, Joe just went a little too far the other way. Like I would have liked the super just violent movie. Um, and and I, the possession thing doesn't really sell me. Bobby's movie I would only see because I love Daniel Kaluuya and um, Stephen Yoon. They're probably my two favorite actors in Hollywood today. I don't give a shit about the rest of his plot, but it, it just sounds better than than what Joe did. Um, so I lean towards Bobby. I go Bobby. Yeah, I feel like as soon as Bobby started talking about their a musical and they fight each other with music, I was like, well, he knew I was the one judging this one and that Johnny, <laughs> he really went in for that. But yeah, I think that Joe could have won this if he went really far in one direction or the other. Like if he, if he, mm-hmm. of course, like you said, done the Green Room style horror thing, but if he'd also done, been like, okay, I want to give Rob Zombie a genre he's never done before and I'm just going to give him like something totally out of his horror wheelhouse entirely and then I'd be like, okay, that's kind of interesting. I'd like to see him try something else, but yeah, Joe Rob, tried to get that really, middle ground. Rob Zombie was working on a Broad Street Bullies movie for a little while about the um, 74, 75 era, like uh, Philadelphia Flyers that won two cups. And I was super excited for it, and it never uh, came out. So, you know, I, I think he could do something outside of his genre, but if you're going to go with, like, a horror movie, I think Green Room was, was the way to go. Like, basically just rip that off, and I think you could have had, like, a fun horror movie. Okay. Yes, I'm going with Bobby. That's the movie that I feel like I'd go to see. It'd be dumb and it'd be kind of like just ridiculous. But I'd see all these actors I really like. I mean, I'm a, I like Amanda Seyfried a lot. I really like the, uh, the girl in Borat. I think she's going to have an interesting career ahead of her. So I would have a really, really good time watching Bobby's. And Joe's just seems like it would be a forgettable Rob Zombie movie that nobody talks about. Yeah, that was the one, honestly, though, that I was like, this is the hardest rule to make a good movie. And this is the hardest movie to make a good movie, so I'm going to just pair them together and throw it at Joe. He had a very uphill battle to make a watchable movie, but I think there was the only direction he could have gone was basically rip off Green Room, and I think he had that in his possibilities. But as far as like that went, I'm like, you know what, Joe? You have a throwaway, but you're still up three to two. You got to win the next point. So what movie are we going with? Yeah, I will say I've never seen Green Room, and I've never seen a Rob Zombie movie, so kind of just that hurts that does hurt that yeah it's probably I, I mean, green room was in my top 100 mm, films of the decade that's a fantastic right. movie it's super violent though all right we're so, a good rob zombie so, movie check out lords so of we're gonna, i gotta run step out for just a second but where are we going for the, next uh, the mummy okay i'll Thank go you. first if you need me to right back yeah it, i won't be long right. so i kind of didn't want to go first but if i need to i will <laughs> i'll take my time let's find it um we can talk about rob zombie for the next five minutes or Gem of the Hollywood. Also, Thousand Corpses, The Devil's Rejects, and. Uh, I think I've actually Lord seen The Devil's Rejects, but it was so long ago. Like, if you were to ask me anything about it, I couldn't tell you anything about it. I went to the Universal Halloween nights at uh, Universal Hollywood where they do these intensely high detail themed mazes for every Halloween, and they base them off of Universal franchises. And they had one that was Rob Zombie. It was really intense. He went through, like, the factory of House of a Thousand Corpses. There were, like, bodies hanging from the ceiling you had to go through. It's pretty awesome. The only thing we have out in, in the Universal area, either Florida or, or California, wherever their locations are at, highly recommend Halloween Horror Nights. Yeah, the only uh, Rob Zombie thing I've seen is the his trailer from Grindhouse, which I watched for this pitch to see like 
that's why I have Nicolas Cage because Nicolas Cage had a cameo in that the like tra- the fake movie was like the werewolf women of the SS or some shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious because I I'm a, kind of a zombie fan in a way, so I was curious what you guys would do with that. But yeah, I, li- okay. I like a couple of his of his movies, um, but not a good director. I mean, objectively, not a good director. But I, I like uh, his first like few movies. Right. I, I think are pretty pretty entertaining. So. We're going with the Mummy that came out in 2017. Mm. Uh, it was supposed to be the start Bobby's of the monsters, first, right? Or yeah, Bobby's uh, going first. Mm-hmm. We'll go. Uh, this got a 16% on Rotten Tomatoes. The director was Alex Kurtzman. Um, it stars uh, Nick as uh, Tom Cruise as a uh, Nick Morton is a soldier of fortune who plunders ancient sites for timeless artifacts and sells them to the highest bidder. When Nick and his partner come under attack in the Middle East. The ensuing battle um, accidentally unearths Amonet, a betrayed Egyptian princess who was in, entombed under the desert for thousands of years. With her powers constantly evolving, Morton must now stop the resurrected monster as she embarks on a furious rampage through the streets of London. It is garbage. So, Bobby, what did you do with it? Uh, so we talked a lot about him, and the rule Tristan gave me is that I had to make this a Rob Zombie movie. Um, so I'll start with my cast. Uh, my main character, kind of my only like really, really big actor, is uh, Thomas, played by Riz Ahmed. Um, my William is going to be Thomas's best friend, who he kind of convinced to come join. Um, that's going to be played by Jesse Plemons. Uh, my... Um, I have Isa Gonzalez um, is going to be Mia in my movie, and she's going to be one that kind of studies the Egyptian culture and can give us a little bit at least of exposition in the beginning, and that's kind of her like scientific kind of background. We I have Billy Magnuson um, as Charlie. He, he's kind of the muscle of the group, um, kind of is there just to you know bully some people. I have uh, the guy who's funding this this expedition that they're going on is going to be played by uh, William Fickner, just a good character actor. Is going to be played by uh, going to be um, named Tony. Um, and then also I did I did cast uh, Sherry Moon uh, Zombie as Sandra, who is just, she's there. Uh, she's one of the first ones to get killed off, so I didn't really give her too much of a character, but she's in the movie. Um, so this is going to be a group of treasure hunters trying to strike it rich by stealing gold from Egyptian tombs. Our lead character, Thomas, wants to use the money to help his daughter through college since he doesn't have, since he's, you know, poor, but he's um, very gifted in this, in this aspect, in the treasure hunting. So that kind of gives us our sympathetic kind of lead character. Um, they enter the tomb of Emotep and accidentally awaken the sleeping mummy. We now get a dark, violent, creepy horror movie with the mummy trying to kill off the intruders. Uh, we get kills by the mummy himself, as well as booby traps with Egyptian, Egyptian weapons. So we get kind of the gore aspect with a lot of the um, booby traps that are historically in a lot of these tombs. Um, we Throughout the movie, we get, uh, like at one point, a kind of spike pit opens up as one of the traps and and also we have them using these torches so thomas knows that he needs to use some type of fire to kill the mummy it's kind of the only way and throughout the movie that's like the one running plot of him trying to figure out how to get the mummy into this pit light it on fire to take him out um so he's the last he's the last one left so everyone else has been killed off uh and he waits and he has this kind of trap set up with a with the fire um, and it's gonna kind of knock. It's gonna knock the mummy in. He hears a body hit, and he throws the torch down and sees that um, it was actually William's body, not the mummy. Oh shit! And the mummy pushes him from behind into the burning pit, 
there's the mummy walk back into the tomb, close it up, and go to sleep. So it's a straight-up horror movie. The mummy kills off all the intruders, but you get, you know, they at least hope at the end that that he had pulled this off. You get kind of a little bit of a twist. Um, Rob Zombie does the horror aspects well, and I think he can uh, at least get a good tone for the movie um, and get show some bloody, gory deaths. All right, Joe, what did you do with the mummy? All right, so my director is uh, David Fincher because I had to use the nominees from the current Oscars. And so uh, my two leads are Treasure Hunters, played by Carrie Mulligan and Lakeith Stanfield. Mm -hmm. I also have Explorers, played by Riz Ahmed and Daniel Kaluuya. I have uh, some professors, played by Glenn Close, uh, Vanessa Kirby, Sasha Baron Cohen, and then Archaeologists, played by Stephen Yoon and uh, Maria Bakalova. And so the plot of my movie is a group of archaeologists, professors, explorers, and even treasure hunters are brought in to explore the recently discovered tomb of a pharaoh. They all meet up at a bar outside of Cairo where we get to meet all of the characters, including the bartender who talks about the pharaoh and the legend of a red and green pendant that is said to be said to awaken the long lost pharaoh. Uh, the next day they're exploring the tomb and we see them look at the paintings and inscriptions on, on the walls and analyze them. They look at the jewels and gold and talk about their history. They eventually make their way to the pharaoh's sarcophagus, and they all make it very clear not to touch it. However, when they all split up to explore the various parts of the tomb, one returns to the sarcophagus to find it open and empty. Freaked out, one of them decides to leave until they learn the tomb has been sealed shut. They immediately blame one of the treasure hunters. Everyone is pointing fingers until one of them sees the mummy attack a member of the group. When one of them finds the red and green pendant and another decodes an encryption on the wall that says that the tomb will only remain open while the mummy rests, they realize one of them must not be who they say they are and it becomes a thrillerish whodunit to figure out who awoke the mummy before it kills them all. And that's kind of the main meat of my story is kind of the whodunit aspect of it. Uh, at the end it is revealed it was Glenn Close's character who feels she is the reincarnation of the mummy's wife and she just wants to be with her love again. Throughout the movie, she had been talking about being a widow and missing her husband, but as the viewer, you assume she was talking about her husband that died a few years ago, not a few thousand years ago, and that is my pitch. Interesting. I I, I like that we both had two uh, two Rob Zombie rules in a row, so it'll be interesting yeah. to compare those two together because you guys both went in different directions with it for yeah. sure. Yeah. I have one question for Bobby now that we mentioned the uh, Rob Zombie rule usage. Uh, Rob Zombie, his soundtracks are always really interesting, and he makes a lot of uh, bold music choices on his soundtracks. And I know you're a big music guy on our TikTok and everything else, so I want to know what you would be doing for the soundtrack on your Rob Zombie uh, Mummy movie. Um, it's going to be very guitar-driven, but not in the aspect that you would think of like an action, kind of like like what, what he would do in like White Zombie, where, <laughs> where it was very like thematic and... and um very very, yeah but the guitar work and everything in that was very uh you could you could throw that into a movie and it would set the mood for a scene so just kind of you would have his flashes of music when when uh there's tension or things happening in there for sure all right i like that um i it it is interesting as as tristan mentioned we have the rob zombie movie again but also both times has gone up against the Academy Award uh, That's right. rule. Yeah. So interesting to see that. Um, but that does uh, delve me into my, cus- my, my uh, 
question, which is about casting. Joe obviously has, you know, a good cast because he had to choose people that were nominated for Academy Awards. Bobby, Rob Zombie, I don't see a single person that you cast ever working with him. What made you go that direction? Like, it just sounds like you cast a movie and pitched a movie and then just were like, mm. I guess Rob Zombie's no. directing it. Now, nothing about your movie, to me, like, same, I hit Joe on this, nothing about your movie feels like a Rob Zombie movie. Well, say like Rob Zombie, if he's working for someone like um, like Blumhouse for this type of movie, what they usually what what they what you know say so they would give Rob Zombie like oh go make a mummy movie that's cheap, but we're, we'll give you at least one good like lead actor, like known person, and that's going to be the Riz Ahmed who is very known uh, like Academy wise and stuff, and he, and like he's like your your kind of face. Um, Jesse Plemons is rising, but he's very much a, a character actor. He only plays side character roles. He's never like a lead thing. So that's kind of, I'm, he's in that place. I think he could do a Rob Zombie movie. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't. Um, I also have Isa Gonzalez, who's not very, she's good in the movies that, that she's in, but she's not a big star. She's nowhere near it. Um, she's, I, I know her most from Baby Driver. It's kind of the most prominent role I, I know her in. Um, William Fickner is just a, he's a, again, a character actor kind of guy like i think i filled it pretty well we have his you know uh sherry moon zombie in there um and and billy magnuson again someone who's just a side actor he's a side character actor right now um so i think there are people like even if they haven't worked with him before these aren't big stars other than the one who you would want to lead a movie called the mummy basically okay all right um yeah but that being said guys uh fight it out um, I would just say, just if I were to watch like the trailer for these movies, and like I would rather see a fun, um, you know, we both have the similar plot of of people being trapped in a in a tomb and being attacked by the mummy. It's it's very similar concept. Um, I would rather see the big bloody gory deaths of a, more of the fun movie than yours sounding a little bit more. Um, what was that twist at the? What was the twist at the end with the mummy being? What was that at the end being only a few? No, no, uh, no, the twist was basically it's revealed that it was Glenn Close is the one that like released the mummy, but like at because throughout the movie she had been talking like she's a widow and blah blah blah. And so throughout it, like as she's saying, when she says she's a widow and stuff like that, you think she's referring to her husband that died like a few years ago, but then when you find out that she believes she's the reincarnated wife of the mummy, it's kind of yeah, like, that's. Oh, a again you're, you're bringing a lot more of like the the mystical kind of elements into it that i think can de be the downfall to these movies sometimes but like part of the reveal um, is like you don't know like is she a crazy person that. like that's the thing of like you don't know is she a crazy person or is she actually like the reincarnated wife of this mummy that's part of it too as it's never fully right. like 100 percent explained Okay. I'm just saying as far as preference, if I'm going to watch a mummy movie, I'd rather it be a little more simplistic rather than a, a magical gem. And then the possibility of, of, you know, her, the reincarnation and that I'd rather see him more simplistic mummy opens is, is awakened and starts killing people and it's brutal and uh, like fun brutality to me. That, but to me, I'd rather see argument. like the more fun whodunit kind of thing around it with the kills and with the deaths and all of that. I, feel, I find that's more intriguing than just the straight up deaths and just the yeah. kills. 
and I find that more compelling and more interesting. And so I feel like it just comes. Our movies basically but come down know. to taste. Of would you rather see a Rob yeah. Zombie violent movie or would you rather right. see? Right, but I don't know why it's why is it a big deal? Like of the who done it? Usually it's like oh they they killed someone off. They did this thing. The who done it? Like who awakened it? But because why? Because who awoken it is the one that has to put you know is the one who has to like undo it basically. And so they have to figure out who did it to basically get them to, you know, put the mummy out. Otherwise, yeah. they can't escape and they all die. Yeah, it's more of just I don't love that as a stake, as like the stakes of the whodunit and of the movie for the mummy. I'd rather focus on the mummy being this thing. And you have at least some background with some characters that have like the history to tell of these tombs and what they can expect. And then you get you get the booby traps, which is like the fun aspect of like a home alone, but they're bloody and gory um, because they are set up back by the ancient egyptians and then you get uh you know the at least somewhat of a compelling like story with you you are trying to follow this character and make sure he gets out you get the um twist at the end where he your lead character dies and the mummy wins and goes back and it sets up that he could be awakened as many times as people can go into this and how are people going to get out of it um if you wanted to but honestly they you could even just make it a standalone like it's do whatever you want with it but I'd rather a more simplistic mummy movie is just taste wise. Yeah, I just for me, I'm more intrigued by like the more people. Tristan, the Tristan's making the final decision, but I I have my decision. Yeah, I'm gonna say we're starting to repeat the same points here, yeah. so I I yeah. think we can uh, just go to John if you have any thoughts on this. My main thoughts are this: while I'm not sold on Joe's movie plot wise, um, <clears throat> body in no way, shape, or form made a Rob Zombie movie. None of his cast would ever actually appear in in his movie. I know he kind of gave a weak defense to that, but, like, in no world is Billy Magnuson ever being in a Rob Zombie movie. That was an awful casting choice if you're actually going that direction. Same with Jesse Plemons. Rob Zombie works with Robert Forsyth and, and Sid Haig and Bill Mosley, like, he has the same group of actors in all of his movies. If Bobby went that direction, and I believe that this is a movie that he actually could have made, I think he could have sold me more on his plot. But as soon as Bobby said his cast, he kind of lost because I was like, there's no universe that Billy Magnuson is ever appearing in a Rob Zombie movie. That's just not realistic. And, and Bobby's movie just, even if his plot was amazing, which is just okay, which so is Joe's, Bobby's casting completely takes me out of the running for it. I, I think both of them, you know, the Rob Zombie rule was tough, but I think there was directions you could have went that could have sold it as I used this rule well, and I don't think either of them did, and, and I think Bobby failed even more than Joe as far as making it a Rob Zombie movie, so I, I go towards Joe. Yeah, I'm going the same direction. I think that Bobby was a little bit closer in my mind to at least he went more to the horror, more to like the the grit a little bit. But I still think he didn't quite go all the way. It feel I got his rationalization like, oh, it's gonna it's kind of like something Bumhouse would do. I know they're right now doing those like straight to Amazon Prime, like randomly will be like a one big star in their movie or something like that. So maybe, but I think ultimately, if you went like Johnny said in the direction of making it a a really Rob Zombie-oriented movie. The same way with Joe. I think if you guys leaned into it more, it would have been that. I would like to see Bobby's movie, but I'm going to give the point to Joe. I just don't think Bobby quite used the rule yeah. as, as well as yeah, he could I, have. I, I yeah. think even if Bobby went like Tyler Mayne, who was like Michael Myers in the Halloween movies and played like the big 
characters in uh, some of his other movies. If he was like, Tyler Mayne is my mummy, and I'm going with people that actually work with Rob Zombie outside of his wife being in it, it none of it was very realistic casting. So I, This I, makes I, me very excited for me to match up on the rules, because I think this episode we've had a lot of really uh, close rule choice and rule usage. Yeah. Yeah, and also you apparently gave Rob Zombie to two people that don't know Rob Zombie very well. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah no, neither of you do. <laughs> yeah. We apologize for that, but no, neither of you I had you to know. try. Yeah. I, I at least or made the, even the movie. Or even looked at his like, IMDb. Yeah, I, when um, I did my cast, I at least tried to find, like, Joe's lesser-known people. Or Rob Zombie what? movie, and then his plot yeah. didn't. Bobby's plot did, but his cast did not. Yeah. So I, I think if you two combined, maybe you two could have done a good Rob Zombie yeah. movie, but... To get uh, separate, you uh, you failed at it. All right. So we're just going now for not getting a repeat. Now rule. is yeah. yeah right? Bobby needs to hope yep. that John get Carter. A rule. Yeah, with that, my prediction is incorrect. Joe has now won another match this season, but we'll see if he gets his repeater rule or not. If he does, that means next time Bobby and Joe face, Joe gets to repeat one of the rules and remove one that's terrible. So if he doesn't like Rob Zombie, he can replace it with something that he actually knows anything about and make a movie that might be good all right yep. well i'll go first on this one just to finish this off here yeah i got a long cool. i will uh i'll quickly uh, uh read this one um john carter came out in 2012 got a 52 percent run tomatoes joe loves it um andrew stanton directed it which is interesting because he also did wally. wally and finding nemo and he's mainly a pixar director and this was his like as far as I know, is one big like live action movie. I don't know if he's done anything smaller. I definitely don't think he did Twilight. Um, <laughs> when uh, so this is it. Um, when Civil War veteran John Carter Taylor Hitch uh, mysteriously awakens on the surface of Mars, also called Barsoom, he little expects the adventure that awaits him. Carter reluctantly becomes embroiled in an epic conflict among the Red Planet's inhabitants, including Tars Tarkas, played by Willem Dafoe who appears in really random fucking franchises. And Princess Deja <laughs> Thoris, played by Lynn Collins. A, a Barsoom is poised on the brink of collapse. Um, War-weary Carter rediscovers his humanity when he realizes that everyone's fate is in his hands. And who's going first? Uh, I am. All right, Bobby, you go first. Um, I'm going to grab a drink yeah. and have fun. Good luck. Don't lose. All right. Uh, so my... Uh, director of my movie is going to be Sam Raimi um, because I'm basically turning this into like a horror comedy with some action in there. It's uh, the rule I got is that you must cross over with another franchise. I mean, we're kind of down to the last one, so I'll get into that as we go. Um, my John Carter is going to be played by Nicholas Holt. Um, I have a character named Sola who is from the John Carter stuff, and she's a Thark played by Daniel. Uh, um, Dan, uh, Denal Garia, Garia, he's a Koye. Um, I have a Mobile, who's a Heliumite, uh, played by Jeff Goldblum. Um, I have a Pita, who's a Zadungin, played by Eko Uwes from The Raid. Um, and then I have Gibbs, um, who is another another alien, and it's going to be played by Bruce Campbell, uh, because you have to have him in a Sam Raimi movie, and I think he could be fun. So we start with John Carter and a ship. We see flashbacks of his general backstory of being from Earth and transported to Mars, and his adventures fighting off creatures and the war between the Helamites, Zadungans, the Therns, and the Tharks, um, which is now at a, at a kind of agreed-upon peace as of right now. His job is to now help protect the planet and keep peace. 
They were picking up strange readings from a planet just outside the solar system, and John was sent to investigate with Sola, a Thark and a friend of John, Mobile, a Helamite and scientist, Apita, a Sadungan warrior, and Gibbs, a sarcastic uh, Thern who begrudgingly went along, um, and a few others we didn't cast because they're not kind of like main people, but we have our main group there. When he arrives on the planet, he finds a dark, it finds it dark, devoid of life, other than eggs from an unknown creature. They explore the planet, finding strange acid-like fluid, and remains uh, for an unknown or remains of beings that seem to have been slaughtered. One of the scientists goes to take a sample from one of the eggs, and something bursts out and attaches to his face. A bigger alien then appears from the shadows, a xenomorph, something only seemed to thought to have existed in legends. Now we have an action horror comedy. Uh, comedy being with more of the character interactions that Sam Raimi does very well with them trying to destroy um, what could, what they could of the xenomorphs and escape back to Mars. Um, we have, you know, bloody kills, fun action, um, kind of throwback kind of style for Sam Raimi, um, including Eco Uwais doing his uh, kind of fighting type of stuff with any of the aliens that he could because he's also an alien that can kind of fight it off. Um, we have Bruce Campbell being his entertaining self and the friendship between John Carter and Sola being more of the kind of uh, two main like leads of the movie. Um, at the end, there are only two left, John and Sola. They barely make it off the planet and back to Mars. Just as it seems everything is wrapping up, Sola suddenly starts to feel sick and an alien bursts through her chest. So now we have a xenomorph that is on Mars. All right. I like it. I like the franchise crossover. Um, Joe, what do you got for us? I know yours is a four-hour epic, so I bet yours is a long, uh, a pretty long uh, um, plot. Yeah, like Johnny said, mine's a four-hour epic. My director is uh, James Mangold because kind of the vibe I want to go for this is like a Western kind of. Uh, and we uh, love tone. using him. Tone. We do love using him. But I feel like, but the tone I want to go for is more of like a Western epic type thing, and I feel like James Mangold can do that. My John Carter is going to be played by uh, Jason Momoa because I feel like he has the type of charisma to carry a movie for four hours and still and make it entertaining. Uh, my Princess Deja is going to be played by Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, her father, the King of Helium, is going to be played by Denzel Washington. And then the uh, uh, Mars alien Tars Tarkas is going to be voiced by Christian Bale. So... The movie opens with John fighting in the Civil War on the side of the Confederates. After the war and ashamed of his beliefs, he flees to Arizona where he finds a vein of gold. Uh, while mining, the Apaches find him and chase him, and he runs and hides himself in a mysterious cave. While wandering through the cave, he gets lost until he finds light at the end of the tunnel, only to emerge on Mars, which the inhabitants call Barsoom. Not long after emerging from the cave, he is chased by Tharks, a green six-limbed species of Barsoom. Uh, because of the lower gravity, he quickly realizes he has incredible strength, speed, and agility, which impresses the Tharks. He slowly becomes friends with Tars Tarkas, one of the chiefs of the Tharks, and since the Tharks value strength and military prowess above all else, he quickly rises in their ranks. Uh, John learns about the Red Martians, a group of people with brick-colored skin who closely resemble humans. Uh, the Red Martians live above the Tharks in a widely spaced grid of city-states and rule over the Tharks. Uh, the Tharks have planned to kidnap Dejah Thoris, the Red Martian Princess of Helium, in an attempt to start negotiations and liberate themselves. John falls in love with the captured princess who understands the plight of the Tharks, and John decides to free Dejah from the Tharks to return safely from her to return her safely to her people. Uh, he is rewarded and lauded by the Red Martians. Uh, the King of Helium allows John one wish, 
and he looks at Deja and then looks back at the Tharks down below on the surface of Barsoom, and he orders Helium to stop enslaving the Tharks, and the king reluctantly grants his wish. From then on, we see John, Deja, and some Tharks on various adventures. Over time, the people of Helium and the Tharks work closer together and slowly become allies. Uh, when the people of Helium's rival city-state, Zodanga, threaten war, the Red Martians of Helium, led by Princess Deja and the Tharks, led by John, team up in an epic battle to fight Zodanga. After Zodanga's defeat, John is made a prince, and he marries Princess Deja. Not long after the war, the atmosphere plant that keeps the air on Barsoom breathable starts to fail after being sabotaged by a few living Zodangans. Uh, John starts to head towards the plant, but Deja tells him the air is unbreathable inside the plant, and John says he still has to try. He goes in and fixes the jammed gears, but dies of asphyxiation. He awakens in the dark and wanders until he sees light and emerges outside of the cave back on Earth. And that's my pitch. I basically kind of took the plot of the original novel and kind of streamlined it, but also did it in a way I think fit a four-hour epic. And that's kind of everything. All right. I like I like both pitches. Uh, Tristan, you got any questions? I like them both. We're running long on time, so I just want to hear him argue it out. Yeah, same. We'll do a quick argument, and then we'll do our final decisions. So no questions? Uh, not, yeah. Uh, no questions. Joe, you get away with it this time, yeah. Joe. So my thing, my main thing against uh, Bobby is you basically <laughs> took John Carter, which is kind of like a more serious, pulpy thing, and then you took Alien, which is more of like a serious horror thing, and I just feel like combining them in like a, co- a horror comedy style thing, I don't know if that like meshes, and I feel like you know, alien fans aren't exactly going to want to see like alien inside of a comedy. And I feel like not that there really are John Carter fans, but I don't know if that necessarily fits comedy. And I also don't know with Sam Raimi. I know he's next to direct Dr. Strange too, but they Marvel doesn't exactly let their directors have a whole lot of control. I don't really know like how much gas he really has left in the tank as far as like an original movie that he has most control over. So I just, I just feel like it's very easy for his movie to fall apart. I would say as far as the tone, like you said, you don't know if John Carter fans ex- exist. I mean, it's a very outdated franchise. It, it's what it's the type of movie that would have inspired like a yeah. like a Star Wars yeah. and stuff like then. So as far as like the tone of that side, I don't think that is that much of an issue. And as far as a- the aliens, as long as the aliens themselves, the xenomorphs are not funny uh, and they're the Sam Raimi creepy and are they are the ones that are like you you stick to their tone and they do that well and they create the atmosphere and the the villains of the movie um and then you have basically a fun group of people that are kind of at odds with each other because like you like they did come from this background of they were at war and are forced to be together and now each of them has to be a representative on these missions so you have the kind of bickering that can go on between them um which is more the the more like the comedy style um, and as far as Sam Raimi, one, he, he, he is hot right now and his name is coming back. I just saw a lot of, a lot of videos and YouTube things talking about it where um, studios are looking to bring him in to work with like right now, especially after um, kind of seeing his work on Doctor Strange 2. I think bringing him back to his roots of what he did well with, uh, you know, with Bruce Campbell and Ash and that character and that's that kind of the tone of the horror comedy um, and then giving him something to do that would be a very cool to do a lot of um, practical effects to get a lot of like certain xenomorph shots and stuff that he's very good at, um, I think would go really well. And working with Marvel, I, I mean, that's 
we'll see how Dr. Shane Sue is, but I think that could bring him back to wanting to do something on this scale. Um, to me, I think it works well. I'm, I'm a Sam Raimi fan. Um, and I think that uh, the tone does work, especially because there are no real John Carter fans. No, I'm, I just meant more. I just, John Carter's like a very, uh, I don't want to say serious, but it is, it, you know, I, I look at it and I don't think comedy. And that, that was my thing. I just don't know if comedy fits with that. But it just comes down to, do you have faith in Sam Raimi? And personally right now, I don't until he proves me wrong. But, and my other thing was, do you, do you like really touch on John Carter's like backstory at all in your movie or? Um, that's in the in the beginning. It established like like on the ship where you're kind of meeting all the characters. You're, um, you I said you kind of flash back to his origins of how they got to this point and 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 that and that they are at a kind of a temporary peace that he brought that with you know to them and that was his job to. But do you and explain now like kind of that he's a, Mars. a human or anything at all? Because I mean that's a pretty big yeah aspect. Yeah, like so. yeah. So you can do that. You can do that relatively quickly. I mean, it's not going to be a long drawn out thing, but all you have to do is show him on Earth, throw, show a brief thing of how he got to Mars, and then that he led that, and that's that's pretty quick. Um, and just to establish, this is John Carter is kind of who he is. Now you have this group that are kind of at odds with each other, but kind of you know they have to work together. Um, with yours, it's just more of a it's it's four hours and it's this long drawn out um, big fantasy epic, but. Um, it's going to be it is going to be very niche of who will like that it will be more of like the snyder cut where people are going to be all in and all for it for all four hours or they're going to drop out and one by the runtime two by the um like to do a four hours of all this stuff uh to to hold people's interest um and i don't think like john carter taken super seriously with more seriously i don't think is the right take pulpy can be a little bit more fun um, and I think I'd rather see a little bit more fun in it to entertain me for the four hours. I mean, um, James Mangold can do fun. I just meant it's more of like that Western kind of vibe is what I wanted to do. I mean, you have, there were moments in like Ford versus Ferrari that were funny. There's moments in Logan that can be fun. Like there are, it can, I'm not saying it's like this boring, mm -hmm. serious four hour long, like 10 commandment style movie. There it is. No, that is partially why yeah. I wanted like someone like Jason Momoa who has that charisma. I wanted like kind of these big charismatic actors to help carry you through the movie and make you entertained throughout it with like Denzel Washington and Lupita Nyong'o and Christian Bale. I wanted these, you know, actors that had the charisma to help carry a four hour movie because four hours is a long ass time for a movie. So. Yeah. Do, do you explain at all? Like how, how he ends up back on earth or does he just walk? He died and then he, he walked and he's basically out on earth. I mean, cause that's basically what the book was. So I just stuck with that cause I didn't want to, yeah. Like if you, I think after a four after a four hour long movie, I'd want something a little bit more clear on the ending, as far as like a definitive, this is you know thing rather than ambiguous. I think ambiguous after a four hour movie is like why did I I watch all that? What happened there? Um, like leading up, then I'd rather lead it to something that's either tragic or lead it to something that's mm -hmm. a happy ending, rather than wait how did that happen yeah. and confuse people at the end a little bit more yeah but, i mean it's basically the same way he got to mars it's just in reverse all right i think we have our decision on this tristan what what do you what do you got yeah i'm i'm not the one making the final call but i do think both of these are all right pitches i don't think either one is super great maybe it's because i'm not a John Carter fan necessarily, but I mean, I'm familiar with enough with it that I feel like I'd be into a good version of this. And neither one of these particularly stood out 
for me. I think Bobby's has a good idea with the crossover, but I think his tone is a bit off, and I think Joe knocked him on that pretty good. That the alien tone mixing with the Sam Raimi kind of zany ridiculousness doesn't really fit for me. I think you could have crossed over with some slightly more tongue-in-cheek horror franchises and gotten it a little bit better out of that. Uh, Joe's, on the other hand, just feels... I know the rule is four hours, but I think it... That's one where you're going to feel the four hours. You're not going to be there enamored. You're going to be like feeling the drag of these four hours for this really long sci-fi epic. So I think I'm going to lean towards Bobby on this, but I am pretty close on it. But either way, it's just because neither one of them really blew me away, but I think Bobby's just seems a little bit more like something I would love as an Alien fan and a Sam Raimi fan, even if I don't think they necessarily go together great. Yeah, I went back and forth on this because I think... um... I think Joe did a good job selling me on like a four-hour epic of uh, John Carter, which normally I I maybe wouldn't see. I think his would have been stronger with, uh, I know we've used James Mangold a lot, but I think another director we've used a lot that would have been perfect for his pitch was Denny Villeneuve. I think if he went more that direction, I think that would have sold me more on like a long sci-fi type of movie. I'm a huge fan of Blade Runner 2049. I know that's not four hours, but I know it's a longer sci-fi epic, and I think Joe could have really sold that well with uh, with a Villeneuve-type film. Rather than like a Mangold, who we've talked about before, makes great dad movies, and I don't know necessarily if uh, Mangold uh, sells a movie if it's four hours Bobby, I think, could have used uh, different crossovers. That If he's doing Sam Raimi and crossing over with another franchise, do Critters or do um, uh, uh, shit, what's it called? I just blanked on it. The Kevin Bacon movie where they're underground. Tremors. Worms. Tremors. Tremors. Like, Wars. I mean, tr- John Carter, <laughs> Sam Raimi, Tremors on Mars would have been amazing, directed by Sam Raimi. I think there are some more fun franchises that you could have gone to. Um, but I do think overall Bobby um, takes this one because I think his sounds more of the movie I would go see. Joe was close, but I think his director choice actually hurt him, even though I love James Mangold. I don't know necessarily if he's the right choice for a four-hour epic. And with Jason Momoa as the lead, I don't, I'm don't. i not sold on that. I think he'd be a great side character, but I I don't think he'd be a great lead in this uh, in this one as, as Momoa. So, Once um, again, if Joe takes X later, he would have gotten me. You give me a four-hour Zack Snyder with Jason yeah. Momoa as John Carter. Like, thank you. Give me more of that. Uh, I do think, even though I don't like Zack Snyder, um, if you guys, either of you had picked him for your four-hour epic, you could have sold me on why he would make it, rather than, like, I don't believe that James Mangold would make a four-hour John Carter movie. But if you were like, well, you know, you could have sold me on it. A two-hour Zack Snyder movie is garbage, but if he takes four hours to expand every single idea in his head, I, I think he could have sold me on that actually being a movie that would have been made. So I, I do think that actually could have won me over if either of you had gone with him. So um, that being said, um, we'll just go a quick round of it has been a long quarantine, a very long year, over a year now since uh, businesses started shut down. So. I'll give my quick recommendation for something I've watched over quarantine that I highly recommend. And while I stick with Willie's Wonder World, which all of you should watch, which is a new movie that Nicolas Cage is in, I would go with the new Amazon Prime show, uh, Invincible, which was a comic book created by Robert Kirkman. It's fantastic. I'm, I'm uh, currently, that's my new weekly show that I'm obsessed with. So 
I recommend Invincible on Amazon Prime. Tristan, do you have anything to uh, to uh, recommend before we end? Yeah, uh, after watching the Snyder Cut, I've just been super invested into DC. So I've been on HBO Max binge watching Superman, or Batman the Animated Series. It's all on there. They have the entire DC animated universe. So I'm going to go on there and watch some Superman. I'm going to watch some Justice League. I've been binge reading a bunch of Batman comic books. I've been trying to get through the quarantine. Like Johnny said, it's been a long quarantine. So I'm trying to get out of my movie comfort zone a bit and explore some other mediums. So yeah, I've been either binge watching Batman or reading Batman. What about you, Joe? Uh, yeah, basically, uh, if you're going to watch anything, watch, uh, this podcast. That's my recommendation. Just go back, watch all all our old episodes. Hmm. Um, but I will say, uh, watch the Falcon and Winter Soldier. I'm really liking this. I, I went in to it expecting to like it, but I'm liking it a lot more than I even expected to. Um, so I'll say if, you, if you're a Marvel fan and you haven't checked it out, go check that out. Um, but yeah, that's really my only recommendation. Oh yeah, follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, <laughs> all that. And check out our reviews of Falcon and the Winter Soldier after you yeah. watch the episodes. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and I guess I would say just because we, uh, I would recommend anyone go watch, because um, we do this yearly, the live action and animated shorts that were nominated for, um, for Best Shorts uh, by the Oscars. I think there's some pretty good ones this year. They're always at least in- entertaining and interesting. Um, I would recommend watching, uh, if you want something fun, watch Burrow, the a- um, animated one. That's kind of just a fun, cute one if you wanted a little distraction. Um, and then my favorite of the live action was, I think it was it White Eye. It was the one White about Eye. the bike. White yeah, Eye, um, yes. which is a pretty, that one's entertaining as well from the, from the live action side. But yeah, I'd, I'd recommend checking those out every year. They're they're you know it doesn't it's not too long of a time investment, and you can get some interesting stories. Yeah, if anyone, I, I think this should work for anyone outside of the uh, the Detroit area. Um, Bobby and I downloaded it through the same thing. But if you look up the Detroit Institute of Arts and you find the short film festival, you can find a link to pay. Basically, you pay thirty dollars and you get um, a month of uh, all of the animated shorts, all of the live action shorts, and all of the documentary shorts that were nominated this year for Oscars. It, and it's it's a great deal. It's a great price. I still have um, to, I watched all the live action and the short films as well as Bobby did. And I've watched one of the documentaries and I got four more to go. But if you're an Oscar completionist, like I, I want to be this year, um, and, and I try to be every year, uh, that's a super easy way to to download those and uh, and watch them. So I recommend that. But go to uh, yeah Detroit Institute of Arts and and you can find an easy download. Just enter your email address and you can do it through some different websites. So that's what I would uh, also say. Yeah, that's a great recommendation. So uh, uh, that being said, this was a this was a fun episode. I'm excited to face Tristan next week. Um, we both got to start working on our pitches. Um, but it should be a fun fight. So thank you. I'm for also looking forward to our Mount Rushmore episode yeah. after that too, coming up Definitely. the week after. Yeah, I got to stop focusing on that and focus on our pitches. <laughs> but everyone, uh, thank you for watching Movie Change Up. Uh, this has been a fun episode, and I know it's been a little longer, but we've been gone for a week, so we gave you an extra, a uh, little extra content this week. So thank you for our epic. Exactly for our epic. We almost got to it, but maybe <laughs> one day we'll see. Um, we'll call our buddy Zach Snyder. So have a great night, everyone. Thank you. Yeah. And I just want to say yeah. for one final thing, uh, <laughs> we have a 
live Twitch comment from Spinner58, who happens to be my mom, that says, I like Jason Momoa, especially when he takes his shirt off. So I'll leave you with that. 